It's Tuesday, May 10th, 2022, and this is the People's Podcast. This is Steak for Breakfast. Smokey, this is not Nam. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior! America! Steak. For breakfast! So stand by! This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. Mm. Rubs, barbecue tools, blowtorches, t-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear for you to make barbecue great again. Can be found at manrubs.com or on Instagram, manrubs. Use the code STEAK15 for 15% off. We're also brought to you by Stay Ready Gear. They're at stayreadygear.com and on Instagram, stayreadygearusa. Holsters, custom kydex, mag carriers, tourniquet carriers, on and off-duty gear, hot-melted plastic made just for you. Need something custom? They got you covered. Use the code STEAK for 5% off. Don't get ready. Stay ready. The Pillow King of Minnesota, Mike Lindell, and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family is cranking out big-time savings up to 66% off when you enter promo code STEAK at checkout at MyPillow.com. MyPillows, MySlippers, and Giza Dream everything. Get your uh, bedtime acquisitions taken care of. And uh, sleep well in the comfort of owning the best night's sleep you'll ever own. Enter promo code STEAK at checkout. MyPillow.com forward slash STEAK is the website. You can talk to a qualified pillow representative via the telephone as well. 1-800-658-8045. The top tier of ear gear and all things related to headphones. The world's most technologically advanced in-studio recording equipment can be found at Odyssey. Whether you're gaming, potting, Intergalactic? Oh, oh. Get those ears done up right at odyssey.com. You can find them on Facebook. Find them on Instagram as well. Mike down at West Coast Survival Arms has been servicing Southern California for over a decade. He's licensed FFL. If you're into the tradesies, he's got a five-star rating. Newly redesigned, easy-to-use website is westcoastsurvivalarms.com. He's on Facebook Messenger. You can hit him up via the telephone, 619-870-6992. Steak for Breakfast Packs is blue. We love our first responders, and they're always working hard. While they're off-duty, they're probably wearing gear from Mediocre Medic. Sweatshirts, t-shirts, flip-flops, fanny packs, and more. Stickers and patches for while they're on the job. That's a pretty fire IG. MediocreMedic.com is the website. You can find them on Instagram. And last but certainly not least, the gold standard of tactical flair. can be found at Dumpbox. Don't know? Go ask Mark Joe Friday just what the Zero Flex Duck is all about. Find them on Facebook. Find them on Instagram as well. Friends, don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at Steak for Podcast Breakfast. There you'll find a link tree that can take you to all our social medias, the website, our newest Substack, Telegram, and more. And on that note, to all our friends joining us today on the Patriot Podcast Network via the Roku app, from the Twitterverse, Instagram, Discord, and now True Social. Welcome. Tuesday edition, Steak for Breakfast Podcast, episode 133. I'm Roan. Noah's here. Yo. We've got a great show lined up for you. Uh, we've got 
Boris Epstein coming in today. And uh, George Papadopoulos is going to be joining us as well. We're going to talk about a lot of different things regarding the midterms and the Durham investigation. But before we get to that and all the news, we're going to have an America First interview with Jason Kilmeyer running in Pennsylvania 17. All right, coming first in on the show today. He worked for over a decade in national security where he specialized in counterterrorism and defense policy. And he's currently running as a Republican candidate in Western Pennsylvania's 17th district. He's joining us today for the first time. Mr. Jason Kilmeyer, thanks for coming on Steak for Breakfast. Thank you for having me. Sir, it's, a, it's absolutely our pleasure. How's everything going in, uh, in the race right now out there in, in Pennsylvania 17? We know we're coming up on a hard deadline of, uh, I think we're about at 10 days or, or less, seven days until the primary there. And uh, we wanted to make sure we got you in, get your voice out there and get your message across to uh, all the people listening on the show today. How's the race going? Oh, man, I tell you what, we are barnstorming is that political verb that everybody used. That is what we are doing. Uh, events all morning, door knocking all afternoon and events at night. I'm doing a, a two hour town hall night, uh, in which I will answer questions, any and all questions. And, and the voters of Western Pennsylvania these days, they are not shy. And uh, so I am ready for it. We, so we're doing about four or five events a day, meeting with hundreds of people. And that's actually the part of campaigning I like. How has that reception been once now that you're out on the road? There's a lot of FaceTime with you and the actual constituents of the district. And you're out there working hard, shaking hands and, and really letting them know what your policies are going to be. The ones that uh, they're concerned about in Western Pennsylvania, not the ones necessarily the Beltway. Yeah. So I hear I hear two things from people. Right. One is I was never involved in politics until. And that until is something in the past couple of years. Parents go, you know, I, uh, parents go, I work. My husband works. I don't have time for this, but they're teaching my kids what? So I had to go to the school board meeting. Like they're almost going, I didn't want to have to be this involved, but the government did not give me a choice. And that is a level of energized voter and citizen that I don't think Washington is prepared for. No. Uh, another point as it relates to that, I had a bunch of issues in order of how I thought about them, but I've now talked to literally 10,000 plus people. And my priorities are now inflation one, um, inflation two, and inflation three. Uh, people tell me every day, this specific item used to cost X and it now costs Y. I own a restaurant and I can't plan my menu because I don't know what things will cost three weeks from now. Um, it, is, it is to where there is no longer, people are at their wits end and small business owners are essentially saying, I've taken all the hits. I've been as creative and resourceful as any American generation in history as small business owners, but, but what do they do? And so what I'm here to kind of tell them is that we are here to continue the work of transitioning the Republican Party away from the country club set and towards what I call dive bar Republicanism. Ooh, I like that one. Yeah. The uh, gang down there on K Street probably won't be too enthused about that, nah. that analogy, yeah. but but I, I actually like it. No, it seems to be a reoccurring theme. You know, the more the more guests that we have on this show, especially the ones who are from the, the rural areas and, and, and just getting into politics for the first time, when they get out there and actually start meeting their constituents, one of the biggest concerns are, like you said, inflation one through three. And then, you know, up until so-and-so date, market wherever you want, 2016, 2020, or even last year, I never really had the time or never really was a huge fan of, of politics. You know, when, when we were all younger, you would go through the day, you'd jump home after dinner, you'd check your local news for 30 minutes, and you'd have Peter Jennings or Dan Rather tell you all the international stories. You'd turn off the TV and, and, and call it a night. You knew everything that was going on. Whatever you didn't catch on television, you'd grab in your print press. 
obviously we know that probably was never the way it really was. And in this technological age we're in right now, we, we, we are so forced into the political arena that uh, it's made so many more people aware of the actual problems that are going on in this country. And it's not just, you know, tied into everybody's little district or into their um, uh, Senate seats or governor races. It's something that's kind of a nationwide issue. And like you said, uh, you know, a lot of people are starting to get involved and, and are really aware more now than ever. Yeah, when the average person can see that things aren't what they're telling us just by researching for themselves, it's pretty huge. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's an important thing right there, which is is everybody now goes, oh, well, that thing they told us, that was fact. That thing that they ruined people's careers for six months ago, that fact is now a different fact. Mm-hmm. And so the, the the we have lost... Right. There are a lot of articles that were written a number of years ago when Trump started to rise that said the death of expertise. And uh, right. There was sort of this mocking uh, uh, strain of articles in the mainstream press. The reality is that the experts committed suicide. Right. They have denuded themselves as insufficient to the moment. Mm -hmm. And people have woken up to that. And I think that's what's really important. You know, you guys made that point back in the 90s. Let's say it was George H.W. Bush or Bill Clinton. Mm-hmm. Maybe tax point percentage would have gone up or down by a little bit or right. But but it was generally the same. We live in an era in which the federal government has grown so dangerously and ahistorically out of its appropriate role. And, and, a, and a non-minor plurality of our citizens uh, uh, profess, you know, what I'll call loyalty to something, a different form of government, alien form of government called social democracy. Well, that's now an era in which we have no choice but to pay attention. Right. No, it makes a whole lot of sense. And, uh, you know, when you talk about some of those kitchen table issues, like you already mentioned, the economy is one that's on the minds of just about every American, whether you're a billionaire and you're going to get killed in taxes and all the new regulations all the way down to the hardworking blue collar middle class families like they have out in western Pennsylvania. You're seeing it, it somewhere and in a major context like you've never seen before, probably in this lifetime or at least since the 70s. Um, I saw up on Capitol Hill today. I don't know if you guys had saw it. Janet Yellen was out there talking about some of the inflation stuff and how the Biden administration is going to make that their focal point of uh, the midterm elections. It's the number one concern, according to Joe Biden, as he's out stumping today. And like I said, Janet Yellen was out up on Capitol Hill. She also talked about how um, by ending Roe v. Wade, uh, this was going to have some dramatic effects on on the eventual economy, uh, which I thought was absolutely ridiculous. Tim Scott from South Carolina took her to task and was like, did you just say if, if, if Roe v. Wade gets overturned, uh, the economy is going to be negatively affected by this, like now and this time? And it was one of those things where when you get a cue card to read, it goes horribly wrong. Because yeah. you just thought it was going to be like one of those things that buzzes over the table. They'll show zip it. that in real quick. No problem. Yeah, she's going to talk. They're going to talk about it at the top of every new show tonight. And then he was like, I was raised by a poor single black mother. And here I am in Congress. Like, you know, anyone can do it. Like, one does not you know, transpire to the other. I saw uh, last week, Jason, you had a, I believe it was a town hall or, or it was a forum where, where you guys were talking about. The, the pro-life and uh, pro-choice debate. Uh, you want to let our listenership know a little bit about that and then your stance on it? Yes. Uh, you know, and I've done uh, a couple of televised debates. One of, one of my main opponents uh, has refused to show up at, at a couple of them, but we had one last week. We were all there and uh, we were asked that question about abortion. And, um, you know, this is the time next year in a Republican wave, we're going to find out if Republicans believe the things they are telling voters they believe when they get there. We saw this with Obamacare. Republicans used that. The establishment used that to lure voters in and have those promises. And they had absolutely no plan to replace that law uh, when it came in. 
We're about to find out the same thing. Do the pro-life Republicans believe what they said? And in my opinion, um, what we need to do, the problem with what the Supreme Court did with Roe v. Wade was not that it presumed abortion as a federal issue versus a state issue. It is the fact that they invented a right out of thin air and that a nine robed judges who have become a super legislature decided this for the country. That's why we're scratching and fighting and screaming over every Supreme Court nomination. And literally, I mean, when Kavanaugh was nominated, someone was scratching on the doors of the Supreme Court to try to break in um, is because the Supreme Court unconstitutionally right, has exceeded their boundary. But I am a believer that there is a federal role for abortion, and I would support at least a federal heartbeat bill um, that guarantees um, uh, the protection of life. Yeah, and even though we don't agree with them on you know, 90 plus percent of the stuff that he proposes. I know Lindsey Graham has been going around stumping on that lately. And that is actually one of the things I would get behind him uh, for that, talking about, you know, federal heartbeat bills in regards to this whole thing. And it's just not something that's resonating with the American, you know, the people who are going to matter in this midterm elections. I saw some polls that have recently come out probably in the last 48 hours. If the news is reporting that 64 percent of all registered voters don't think that the Roe v. Wade being overturned is a major topic for the midterm elections. It's probably a lot more than that. Mm -hmm. But I saw one today that I thought was pretty interesting. 75% across all voting platforms, that's Democrats, Republicans, and Independents, think that intimidating the Supreme Court justices or doing what they're doing in front of their houses now is something that shouldn't be done. If it's 75%, you got to think it's close to 100. Yeah. And and it's just one of those things where, uh, go ahead, Jason. Yeah. So, and, and I agree with you guys, the numbers could be pose some potential risk early up on for Republicans. Is this right? I, again, the Kavanaugh thing, when he was nominated, the whole reason Democrats made that such a big deal is they didn't have anything else to run on. Right. So very smart pivot point here by Democrats. Um, but to your point, ultimately, what people are going to look differently at, I think even two, three weeks from now is, oh, OK, the Democrats had this assault. They, they framed the issue. They won the initial framing, right? Politico literally teed it up. They leaked it at night. The next day, they came out with this insanely biased article. They called out specific Republican senators to intimidate them. We saw the whole playbook. And, and Republicans now are going, well, this might be risky. It's not at top of people's minds. I think they need to double down and win the fight anyways. Um, and I think that's the right way to move forward, just like they did when they pushed the Kavanaugh endorsement through. The left sent them every sling and arrow, and we persevered. And I think ultimately, right, we could see a shift into the summer, into the fall of people that start to grapple with how widespread, absent a federal law, how widespread abortion will be in states like California, New York, and others, and uh, just the sheer amount of babies that that will never see uh, uh, the sunshine. Yeah. Yeah, it's a huge, huge issue, and it's it's long overdue to be addressed, and uh you know, I hope at least in the conservative side, I think in the America First movement side, uh, you're going to see a lot of people kind of dig in and hold the line. But I hope that some of those establishment Republicans just realize that this is probably one of the hills you want to die on because there's going to be a whole lot less dying and a whole lot more moving on with, with a more galvanized party if we could just, uh, you know, hold it together right now in this midterm election cycle. Yeah. And I tell you what's interesting about the framing of this by Janet Yellen is she, without realizing it, hints at the uh, um, eugenicist roots of the abortionist movement anyways. And uh, Democrats just don't realize that it, it constantly comes back to that. 
And, and I could make a, a kind of an out there, but I could make an economic point, which is we're constantly talking about how we need new workers and how there's a workforce shortage. Well, we did kill somewhere around 60 million of our own citizens in the past uh, 48, 49 years. So I think that there is a, and, and some, in, in some estimates, that number is lower, right? Maybe about 800,000 a year. And so there is an argument that that very labor force we're saying we need, um, people chose not to bring them into this earth. Oh, it makes a whole lot of sense. I mean, when you just look at it in, in the numbers games, you know, and statistically, there is a lot of validity that goes into that argument. And I'm one of the kind of, I'm one of the people that buys into that narrative as well. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we're both, we're pro-life on steak for breakfast. And it's one of those things where we're just, we're just hoping that, like I said, these guys develop enough of a spine to be able to get through this thing. They did it with Kavanaugh and nobody died. We survived. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it's led to a lot of good things. And uh I, I got a feeling we're just getting started with how young uh, those three justices that got put up during the Trump administration would be. Jason, I want to talk on uh, a couple other things. W- what are some of the issues now? I know you talked about uh, economics and, and how the economy right now is uh, really the number one thing that's affecting the people in your district. But when you want to talk about some of the national policies, maybe even international with your background, uh, what are some of the things that you're looking to work on outside of the scope of Pennsylvania 17 uh, once you get into the Beltway after the midterm elections? Yeah, I'll tell you, national issues, my focus is, is, is going to be on a couple of different things. The first of those is, what are the jobs we can bring back in a very specific and finite fashion, right? So, for instance, there's pending legislation on helping bring more advanced semiconductor manufacturing back to the United States. Now, some of that investment's already happening in the private sector, and we don't want to make mistakes of overdoing industrial policy. But what is that baseline degree of semiconductor, advanced semiconductor production that we need in this country in the event of a conflict that might not be that far off? Um, and I think that answer is higher. There's a bill. It's about $52 billion that would go towards that. The Democrats have packed it with about another $200 billion of, of fluff. Um, I think a humble Joe Biden with, Democrat, with Republicans in control of both chambers of the legislature might sign that semiconductor bill. Rebuilding our domestic shipbuilding capability important, particularly in the event of a conflict, but just a, a, a capability we should not have let atrophy. So there's some room there. Again, that's more American jobs, and there's a national security justification. Um, very similarly, sensitive medical supplies. I had someone recently say, well, hey, it's not that big a percentage of uh, APIs, active pharmaceutical ingredients that we buy from China. It's only 13%. And I said, okay, let's think about that for a second. In the event of a conflict, are we really willing to not have access to 13% of the active pharmaceutical ingredients right, that we need as a country? And that could happen in a very quick timeframe. We could be shocked by that, mm-hmm. right? Just like China held back other things during COVID. And so these are areas in which, again, I think we can pass specific and finite legislation. One more I'll call out is rare earth elements foundry uh, uh, um, discussion that I think Tom Cotton and some others are putting forward. So mm-hmm. bring jobs back in these targeted areas national security justification, economic justification, companies are already starting organically to shrink their supply chains. So that's one. Then number two is we will not regain civic trust in any capacity or lower the temperature in this country or have fiscal sanity if we are importing a population of Pittsburgh-sized contingent of illegal aliens every 60 days in this country. We have outsourced that responsibility as a legislature to the executive branch under both parties. We can no longer allow that. So we need to impeach Mayorkas as an early order of business, and and I will vote to file those articles so that the Senate can hold a trial. But beyond that, there are other ways that we can reclaim that authority legislatively 
and conduct effective oversight. Um, it's federal contractors who are helping to move those illegal aliens all over the country, those flights and those bus rides, which means those details are in federal acquisition records. I'm going to find those records. I'm going to publish them. I'm going to read them out loud into the congressional record. And we're going to show the rest of the American people what this administration has been doing. Nice. Yeah, that's definitely something that needs to come to light. You know, we talk about the federal contractors and NGOs vaguely on this show, but it's a, it's such an important component of how the they're, they're like more than the lube and gears that make the machine uh, work so seamlessly since the start of the Biden administration. And, uh, you know, we were talking about it last week on the show. The amount of people that come in right now is, is speculatory. It could be anywhere from one in, and four to million people already. Donald Trump has teased that by the end of the Biden administration and with the uh, way the policies are going right now, it could be as many as 10 million people. And what we try to educate our listenership on is taking people out of the country who have already been admitted, not the ones that just cross and are the getaways, but the ones that, you know, federal law enforcement agencies apprehend, process, and release, nearly impossible to deport. Uh, or removed from the country. so And the taxpayers are footing the whole bill. It's like you're, you're paying to feed them, you're paying to house them temporarily or however long, plus now you're paying for their bus tickets, their health, plane tickets, their care. phones, mm-hmm. yep. health care. Small business loans. And then some, eventually, some get. eventually, you know, uh, welfare, education, mm-hmm. everything. It's just, it's a yep. never, never ending bill. And Biden knows what he's doing, sure right? Does. Which is he, is, he is permanently changing the facts on the ground um, and, and this is the Tammany Hall model that the Democrats have worked for 100 years. When, they, when, when Irish and Italians would come off the boat and they'd give them the cup of soup and a vote here, you know, sign them up. This is that model 100 years later. They know exactly what they're doing. That first last year, what I told people is I called it the Merkel Million. It was just like when Angela Merkel opened up Europe to that flood of refugees. And Biden is essentially doing the same thing. Um, but not enough people are paying attention to it for us to yet have that reaction. And I, and I think that's going to change as these numbers get even worse. Um, but where we are as a society is we are at, I think, the highest percentage of foreign-born citizens in the United States since about maybe the mid-1910s. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm a believer that, um, one, actual legal immigration overall I think is is part of the lifeblood of our country. It's part of the story of America. Sure. But right now, I think it's time for a moratorium on that. It's time to let the melting pot work. Um, we've got a lot of issues internally. Like I said, we're losing the consensus in some ways for our own form of government. You've got a left wing that rejects proportional representation of the Senate, uh, the Electoral College, state legislative control over elections. We are having this moment where we ourselves are going to have to struggle to maintain the union as is. And I think it's time for a moratorium on legal immigration. If you're in the system, if your visa's working through the process, if you've been doing it the right way, maybe we complete those existing applications, but we stop uh, uh, any other immigration, say, till 2030, maybe about a decade. Yeah, it makes a whole lot of sense. And, and believe me, the more America First candidates that we have on here who were really dialed into the issues, who have really sat down with either con- their constituents or future counterparts and, and get into the actual numbers of what's going on down there, how it affects everything from the economy to crime rates, ed- education, uh, you know, performance standards and all that stuff. And then the money part of it in, in totality. Uh, immigration moratorium is something that's coming up more and more frequently, and and I'm glad to see it. It's not just those border advocate candidates anymore. It's it's on it's on like a nationwide level. We had someone who's running in Pennsylvania on two weeks ago, uh, Jim Bognett, and uh, you know he was on the same exact page because in, in the district that he's running in in Pennsylvania, eight they've had hundreds of uh, unvetted, unscreened, and uh, 
unchecked uh, Afghan refugees just dumped into his district in, in, a, in a place where they have towns, you know, maybe 10, 15,000 people. And then you influx six, 700 uh, of these people that aren't going to assimilate and throw them in a, a job corps facility that has no fences, that has no security. You can only imagine what it does to a community. And Believe me, this isn't like a, a black heart thing where, like, we don't give a crap about stuff that's going on in the world. There's a lot of stuff that happened in Afghanistan and Iraq that is the U.S. government's fault. And mm-hmm. we should be helping them out in there. But there's no reason to just blindly fly ridiculous numbers of people over here from all over the world for no reason and just say, oh, go, you're free. Come. Well, and you almost have to Come. think about, like, readdressing, like, the Jusoli citizenship. Like, yeah. I mean, just because you're born here, I mean, it, maybe it should somewhat be affected by what's your status here initially. Like they do do in some European countries, like France and stuff like yeah. that. That makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah. Jason, you've and, got to go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, and I appreciate your point. You mentioned, hey, we, you both got hearts. I think this is exactly how the conversation should take place, right? Notice none of the three of us use terms like flood or wave. We're talking about human beings, but we remain sovereign yep. and we demand sovereignty. Mm-hmm. And increasingly, people need to be comfortable standing up and saying that. So I appreciate the way that, that you guys uh, 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 represent that viewpoint too. Yeah, we see what it's like when there's literally no system or infrastructure or even apparatus set up to, mm. you know, take care of this thing. And, and, and listen, at the end of the day, it's a humane way. We've seen so many people who have done great journalism, some of our great friends on the border correspondents like Jorge Ventura and people like that. Mm-hmm. Some of these people, they just get busted to their first location and then that's it. Like you got your yep. papers, you got your date. Like we hope you know somebody there. If not... There might be a church in this town that'll help you out. If not, shit out of luck. It's Good luck. Scary. Don't forget to vote Democrat. Yeah, exactly. We'll vote Democrat until you get your citizenship, and then we don't want anything to deal with you anymore. <laughs> I do have to fact check one thing he said. He said Biden knows what he's doing. I think it's actually not necessarily Biden knowing knowing what he's doing, but Biden's, Biden. ad- Biden's advisors, quote unquote, Team Biden, who go. are actually committing the elder abuse that we're seeing on a daily mm-hmm. basis. True story. Yeah, I, I think the few the few lucid moments he has a day, yeah. uh, uh, he's, he's he gives he gives a thumbs up and uh, and then they proceed. There you go. And that's what counts as civilian rule these days. Yep. Jason, you got a big primary coming up here on, on May 17th. You want to let our listenership know before we cut with you, number one, what you need, mm-hmm. and number two, what your what your plans are for uh, heading into the primary right now. Yeah. Hey, guys, instead of doing something like saying, hey, check out my website or donations, I have a much more simple ask. If you know anybody in Western Pennsylvania, shoot them the link to this when it's up. Or shoot them the link to uh, any of my social, uh, Jason Kilmeyer on Facebook, at Jason Kilmeyer on Twitter, and just say, hey, check this guy out. Everything in a district this size is word of mouth. It's door knocking. That's why I have people seven days a week. I have volunteers door knocking. It means a lot to me. Um, and uh, so it is simply shoot a text around to five people. You know somebody in Western Pennsylvania, forward them an email. That type of personal vetting is actually what makes a huge difference in terms of touching voters. No, it makes a lot of sense. And uh Unfortunately, well, fortunately for you, we're still going to live link all your stuff in the show description today. But after hearing mm-hmm. this interview today, hopefully some of our Pennsylvania listeners, and we got a pretty big base out there in Pennsylvania, uh, are going to be doing everything they can to uh, help you and support your campaign moving into the primary now just seven days away. So we'll be looking forward to having you back, Jason, after the primaries, heading into the general election. And we wish you the best of luck moving forward. Guys, I really appreciate the time. Thank you. Yeah, we appreciate having you on. This is the Republican candidate who's running to represent Pennsylvania 17 in the upcoming midterm elections primary, May 17th. Get out there and vote. Jason Kilmeyer, thanks for joining us on State for Breakfast. Thanks, guys. I was good getting to know uh, 
Jason and having him join us for the first time. We wish him all the best next week when uh, the Pennsylvania primaries go down, and we'll be having him back following to uh, talk about the general election campaign. Very solid candidate. What do you think, Noah? I say this every time we have a candidate, and that guy was extra solid. I like it. You know what was uh, even more solid than that? We had a Trump rally over the weekend, this time in Greensburg, Pennsylvania, to a huge, has now become typical audience for... Huge. Huge audience for Donald Trump and uh, all the candidates he was out there. Well, And we'll get into that just in a little bit as to the meat and potatoes of the actual rally. But let's start off with a little pregame. One of our favorites, partners of the show, Mike Lindell was there to kick things off. Let's hear him talking about how this is going to be the greatest revival in the history of the world regarding the America First movement uh, getting the Trump rally kicked off this weekend. We have have to fix that. In 2020, all the laws that were broke, the laws that were broke, I'll give you one. They have a law here in Pennsylvania. You can't have more votes than voters. What? (laughs) What a law, huh? But But they did it anyway. They turned in their electors with more votes than voters. And it's a shame that they, the, the legislatures here in Pennsylvania, they're the ones that are supposed to make the laws, not the secretary of states and not the governors. They make the laws. So these, these legislatures, not just in your state, we, we will look back in history and we will see this, and they're going to be known as only one or two things, either traitors or heroes. There's nothing in between, everybody, period. They need to get up and step up and put laws back into place and say, you can't break the laws you did in 2020. You can't do it. We're not with, we have to get rid of the machines. We have to address 2020. By the way, everybody, you want hope? You know, with the communication, you can go to frankspeech.com right now, my platform, and you can see the injunctions we're doing. We're going to every state and doing preliminary injunctions to get rid of the voting machines. And, uh, you know, and this is what we have to do. We can't have, after you watch 2,000 Meals and you see all this stuff, we can't have another selection and not an election ever. Okay? Good point. So I just want to give you all hope. It's like you guys are all here. We're here because why we care about our country and all people. This is the thing. I don't understand why the media back there, they didn't even wait 15 minutes before they attacked this movie and all the work that was done. So I want to say, you know, there's right now they're afraid. They're very afraid of they and they uh, and when we get way out here, when we get through this, I stand before you. We have all the pieces to this puzzle. God's hand his hand in all of this and every and just be patient because we get through it and we will once again be one nation under God we'll get God back in our schools and we're in the greatest revival for Jesus in history God bless you all I cannot like Mike Lindell all right it's 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 almost physically impossible now. I wish I had a button for the uh that clip from the matrix where he goes machines every time he says it you know he's working real hard he's spending a lot of his money on uh going around and getting some stuff done around the country. And I just feel like, you know, he's working really hard. Whatever so. happened with the, uh, the cyber symposium stuff? Is that just kind of just dropped out of the... Well, I mean, I think some of it was relevant. Some of it was kind of tainted. You know, they had a couple of those guys who had worked from, I believe it was the Washington Post, who had, like, infiltrated it and kind of began to discredit it in real time. But, I mean, there was some stuff there. I, I think... At the end of the day, what, what we're looking at is to having less machines involved in these elections. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, 
whether or not or or what your stance is on them. Well, it's irrefutable evidence, you know, with the the data being you know routed through overseas servers and stuff like that. You can't can't say that wasn't true. No, and 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 the fact of the matter, you know, you want our domestic, especially our presidential elections, well, all elections in general, just to stay here. I think that's the big thing of it. Um, someone who, who received an endorsement after being on steak for breakfast last week. Nice. So I asked Christina Bob, you know, he, got, I got home after our show when Jim Mognet was on and then Liz Harrington tweeted the, you know, the Trump announcement saying, you know, full total endorsement. So I, I sent it to her and I said, D- do we actually take credit for this one? Cause you know, he was on today. She's like, if you got the magic, you got to run with it. So nice. Yeah. There's just a little bit of the stakes that we're currently one for O in, uh, in day of Trump endorsements, but he was there too pregame speech. And uh, there you go. Gave a little bit of uh, let's hear him. Pennsylvania. You know what this rain is? This is God's tears that Joe Biden is in the white house. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Joe Biden doesn't belong in the white house. He belongs in a nursing home and Kamala Harris belongs in a nut house. I'm running for Congress in Scranton, Pennsylvania, Joe Biden's quote-unquote hometown. He left there in the 1950s, but he says he understands Scranton, Pennsylvania. Joe don't know Scranton. Joe don't know Pennsylvania. Do we want Joe Biden in the White House? We want Donald Trump in the White House. Ladies and gentlemen, we must take back Congress this year. I was up by 10,000 votes on election night last time around in 2020, and President Trump was up 100,000 votes. And you know what they did to us. We cannot let that happen this year. Are we going to let that happen? We must fight every day for election security. And election security means voter ID. Heck, in New York City, they want you to have a vaccine card to go into Starbucks, but you don't have to show an ID to vote. Is that the craziest thing you ever heard? Do you want to get rid of lockboxes? I want to get rid of lockboxes, and I want to get rid of mail-in ballots. And that's why we need everybody here to go out and vote for Republicans for governor and Senate. You might ask me, why am I here in western Pennsylvania if I'm from northeastern Pennsylvania? Because Donald Trump asked me to be. And when President Trump asks you to fight for your country, what do we do? We fight for our country. Ladies and gentlemen, the Democrats will not stop at anything to stay in power. They will do any dirty trick. They will tell any lie. They even will try to convince you that Joe Biden knows what the heck he's doing in the White House. We know that's not true. We need to build the wall. We need to fight to build President Trump's wall. Do you want a wall? Let's keep fighting for that wall. The only way that happens is if we win back seats like mine. My seat is a swing seat. It's good, hardworking people in Scranton, Wilkes-Barre, Hazleton, the Poconos. You know what we care about? We care about God. We care about family. We care about the Second Amendment. And we care about treating people with respect. You know what we don't want? We don't want men in swimming pools with women pretending to be women. Do you want that? We don't want illegal immigrants to come here and don't want to learn the English language. Do we want that? We must take back America and save America, as Donald Trump said. Please go to my website at bognetforcongress.com. Learn about how you could help out. I just want to tell you. Good to hear, Jim, out there with the big audience. And uh, they seem pretty receptive of him getting everybody fired up before Mike Lindell. So we would get to the uh, rally then, and it uh, it was a good one. I would have to say inclement weather, of course. It seems to be following Donald Trump around. I asked Christina Bob, who actually went to this one. I said, listen, the last three you've been at have been hurricane conditions. And she's like, 
This one was no different. Nice. So it rained all day. It was very cold and windy out there in Pennsylvania, but they got it done. Um, who's not getting it done is the Democrats, to who Donald Trump referred to as the party of death. Democrats are the party of crime, <laughs> the party of chaos, and the party of death. They are, whether you hate saying it or like saying it, they're the party of death. Republicans are the party of law, order, and life. And you know what else the Republicans are? They're the party of the American dream. They really are. They're the party of the American dream, which is being taken away from you. If you want to make our country safer for violent criminals, vote for the radical Democrats. If you want to make it safer for your family, your children, and for law-abiding Americans, you must vote for Republicans. You must. Sure do. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was good to get things started off that way. There's a lot of new material in this one. Uh, you know, I, I saw, well, Dinesh D'Souza was there. And we're talking about who, so there was no governor endorsement, which I thought was a little bit weird. We don't know if Donald Trump's friends with uh, one of the people who's running for governor, but a Trafalgar poll came out yesterday and it showed that our great friend of the show, Doug Mastriano, was up by a whopping 11 points in the Republican primary. Oh, wow. So it looks like he's going to be the nominee, and we'll, of course, be looking to sit back down with him after next week once we have the primary. And um, he got into a lot of different things. One of his newest pieces uh, was regarding the disinformation board. So it only took him about a week to, to formulate that into uh, what went into the script of the rally. Let's hear him talk about it. One of our highest priorities will be to crack down on left-wing censorship and restore free speech in America. We don't have free speech. We don't have free speech and we have a totally crooked press, all of them back there. <laughs> we will immediately terminate Joe Biden's so-called disinformation governing board. How about that one? <laughs> a chilling and un-American power grab that we will not allow to stand. Go out and sign up now for, by the way, truth, truth. I'm so happy to be back on social media, which is number one on the Apple App Store, number one ahead of TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, and all others, number one. Can you believe it? I opened this thing. It's like we got, we have really a great platform, but number one, what a great honor it was to look at that. It's going to be our voice. It's going to be the voice of the people you know elon musk it just dropped in the last hour that he said regardless of whether or not donald trump's going to use it uh he plans on bringing back anyone that's been permanently banned from the platform for a fresh start and he said one of his day one items would be to reverse his his permanent suspension from the platform reverse yeah he's trump's yeah yeah he said that you know his kicking off of the platform was morally and probably constitutionally wrong yeah and that whether or not he uses it is completely up to him but uh Definitely thinks that it's something that he needs to get uh, done super fast. He would then get into his uh, midterm election numbers, which have been great. Uh, we've amended them. It was 55-0 and 0 as of last week, but after going back and seeing it at a Mar-a-Lago event, he, he endorsed uh, J.R. Majewski right before the Ohio primary. That would up his record to 56-0. and 0. So let's talk about uh, – let's hear the president talk about his midterm election hey. record that I endorsed won their primaries on Tuesday. They went 22-0, and and in Texas, a couple of weeks before, we won 33-0. and So we have a total record of 55-0. and 
And we actually had a funny event take place, actually, in, uh, in Ohio. A man named J.R. Majewski. Do you know J.R.? <laughs> we love J.R. So awesome. So J.R. was sort of a candidate, but I think he was sort of just lingering and having a little fun. And we had a tremendous crowd for all of the incredible patriots of Ohio, and we had just an amazing crowd. And I said, where's J.R. Majewski? Is he around here? And you could see his hand way to hell in the back. And what he is, he's a farmer. He's a great farmer. And he'd carved Trump into the cornfield or whatever field, wheat, corn, whatever the hell he had. And he'd carve in massive, massive letters, Trump. And you could see it from 30,000 feet above in an airplane. <laughs> and they did a story about him. And I called him out. I said, JR, I want to thank you now. I didn't want to endorse him because he wasn't really going to win. But I called him out and we had lots of people. We had lots of people there. And guess what happened? Now, he was running against very good professional politicians. J.R. Majewski won for Congress. Can you believe this? He's, He's just like nominee. a fan favorite. Yeah. And he'll be great, but uh, we didn't expect that, so maybe we can say instead of 55, that we should be given 56 for that one. <laughs> but he's great, and we have a lot. Uh, it's good to hear that, and, and great for JR. I just talked to uh, Melissa, who's his campaign manager this morning, and he's going to be joining us, I believe. Uh, we looked at a couple dates. It's either going to be June 3rd or June 7th. She's going to get us a final one today, but we'll be sitting down with uh, the Republican representative for Ohio 9 in the upcoming general election there in November, uh, J.R. Majewski, and he ran an amazing campaign. I saw a video this morning. They were at some kind of Republican function last night. Donald Trump was the keynote speaker, and as part of his speech, was talking about his success in the midterm elections. However, new J.R. had made the trip from wherever uh, he was in Ohio to the event, made it a... Uh, you know, issue to call him up on stage, thanked him, shook his hand, took a picture with him, and then said, you know, we might have not been behind you because we didn't know what was going on running into the primary, but now we're going to be sending you a lot of help, and, and hopefully that means money and ground game to get him over the finish line in November because he'd be one hell of a of a person representing Ohio 9 up in uh, Washington, D.C. So it was great to see him do well, and uh, I think it's going to be good for uh, the Republican Party to have somebody in there. Personal attacks, there was none short of them. Uh, first one up on the list this time was Mitch McConnell. And, uh, no, you're probably going to like this one. He hit him pretty hard. Nice. David is totally controlled. This is the opponent by Mitch McConnell, the old crow, the old broken-down crow. <laughs> Mitch McConnell is the least popular politician in the country, according to the... No, he's an old, broken-down crow i want to be nice i don't want to call oh i wanted to have i had that word right i just want but i couldn't do i'd go home and the first lady would say why did you use that foul language darling i love you so much but why did you use it he said oh broken down piece of crow <laughs> you like that one know what to do he's an old broken down piece of crow amazing I guess he was not using the fake news teleprompter that he talked about a couple weeks ago. I don't even use that thing. It's fake news teleprompter. Uh, <laughs> some people that you might think, hmm, it's weird that these people are coming up now. But uh, if, you, if you get into, like, the, the races, like, we're kind of dialed in. George W. Bush, who, who Donald Trump really doesn't attack too often, uh, has kind of stayed away from, you know, him and, and his father and, and the rest of the Republican Party. 
uh, for the most part, is, except for the rhinos that, that kind of betrayed him during his administration. But here's the thing. Apparently, George W. Bush has been out stumping for Brian Kemp in Georgia in the governor's race. And, you know, you can't get much more establishment than the Bush family. And, and we all know that Donald Trump has already endorsed and is supporting David Perdue, which we want to remind our listening audience, you know, as the Georgia primaries is, is uh, underway, early voting started on the 2nd. It runs all the way through the primary on the 24th. The poll numbers don't really mean anything. We just need Brian Kemp not to get 50%. Then we'll get into a runoff. I think there's four or five people in the race. And then you would hope that Donald Trump would be able to unify the base behind them and behind Brian Kemp, which is where we have to focus on. But he, he went after George W. Bush a little bit. Let's hear it. Congressman Ronnie from Texas. He's a great man. And he was the doctor of Bush. And Obama, younger Bush, who got us into the Middle East, he did a great job, didn't he? One of the worst presidents in our history, whether you like him or not, whether you like a Republican or not, he got us into the Middle East. He should be ashamed of himself for what he did. And he never got us out. And neither did Obama get us out. But I got you out. You're the guy in the background. Obama sucks. (laughs) (laughs) Only in a Trump rally. It's amazing. One of the biggest themes of the day, and we'll we'll get into it in a minute, was uh, the 2000 Mules, which which I guess they had a viewership party for last week. I've seen it. Mm -hmm. Um, I I didn't get to get too deep into it, but it looked good so far. So I just think it goes into like those four things we usually talk about. There was everything that was coordinated via the Time Magazine article. There was the elements of historical fraud, which happened in major cities like Atlanta and Philadelphia and places like that. Um, And then you have the Facebook component, which 2000 Mules kind of fuses its way into with ballot harvesting. And but that goes hand in hand with the free for all mail and balloting. Yeah. So 2000 Mules, that that documentary fits in somewhere between the latter two items there. And and, it adds argument to the already building case about all the things that were wrong with the presidential election, in my opinion, is enough to just say, okay, we have this documentary out here now, and now we just must overturn the election. No, it doesn't, but it definitely, if there's people who might have been on the fence who aren't even, like, thinking about considering it, I mean, just just say Joe Biden got 81 million votes and then watch everything he's done and watch him on TV today. And, and then, you know, you'll know in your heart that there's no way that it could have possibly happened. So this was definitely a huge element of it. But before we get into Dinesh D'Souza and talking about the documentary, uh, Ohio senatorial primary candidate winner J.D. Vance was there stumping for the president as well. Let's hear him talk uh, when he took the stage up at the rally. China. We have to stop being weak on China. We have to stop sending American jobs to people who hate us. That is it. And this battle... I got to tell you, in my race, I saw it. Who knows the slimeball Carl Rove, one of the worst establishment Republicans in America? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank you. Carl <laughs> Rove is trying to claim a scalp, ladies and gentlemen. And I got to be honest, it's not about Dr. Oz. It's not about anything other than you and Donald Trump. These people are trying to make it so that Trump-endorsed candidates get defeated. Facts. Because when they do, the fake news media back there will say, well, Donald Trump's endorsement doesn't matter. This isn't Donald Trump's party anymore. This is the party of the Karl Roves of the world. That's why this race is important. For no other reason than do we want to go backwards. Do we want a Republican party that ships American jobs overseas? No. 
Do we want a Republican Party that starts stupid wars that we have no business fighting? No. We're starting another one right now. Do we want right a Republican now. Party yep. that refuses to do anything about critical race theory, about vaccine mandates, about all the problems we've seen the last couple of years? No, we do not. And what that means is that we need to support the candidates who are endorsed by Donald Trump. That's why I'm here. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a choice. Are we going to have a Republican Party for the donors, for the special interests, or are we going to have a Republican Party for the people? Ladies and gentlemen, let's have a party for the people, because if the Republican Party doesn't stand for the people, no one else will. Good point. Mm-hmm. How are you feeling about J.D. Vance? I mean, he was... Listen, we've all played the audio tapes on here where he literally said he was a never-Trumper, and then he did the commercial about, like, it was, like, complete satire where... You know, he was talking about Mexicans and then tied it into Donald Trump being racist and stuff like that. You got to kind of <coughs> dislike where he started. Donald Trump did make a point at a rally a couple of weeks ago where he said, if I if I only endorse people that never talk shit about me, I, there'd be nobody left to endorse. Yeah. Um, you know, I just don't feel like, you know, some people have gotten the same shake. And, and we'll talk about that in a minute. We are talking about 2000 Mules right now. Dinesh D'Souza was there. And uh, Donald Trump gave him some stage time. So let's hear him talk about his documentary, which released last week. Pretty awesome show. In this movie, we show that there are at least 400,000 fraudulent votes. And when you look at them state by state, it flips Pennsylvania from Biden to Trump. It flips Georgia from Biden to Trump. It flips Arizona from Biden to Trump. And if you redo the electoral math, you'll see that means that Trump won the 2020 election. You know, Dinesh is such a great guy. He was probably one of the first people that ever faced, and a lot of people forget it, it was during the Obama administration when he was jailed and stuff like that. January 6th type persecution from, mm -hmm. from a government that I do got a little bit more on him. Let's hear his uh, next clip. 2,000 mules. What's a mule? A mule is a paid political operative hired by a left-wing organization to deliver fraudulent and illegal votes to mail-in drop boxes. The number 2,000 is a ridiculous undercount of the number of mules. The real number is much greater. And the Democrats deployed them in all the key states essentially to to rig the election for Biden, to put Joe Biden over the top. This is not a big lie. It's not misinformation. It is now a proven fact. I, I do like where he goes with his angle there, uh, saying that it wasn't what got Joe Biden over the finish line. It was essentially the icing on the cake. It mm -hmm. was like, so there, if there was any ever question of like, you know, Donald Trump was up in so many states by so many hundreds of thousands of votes at 11 p.m. on election night. He's talking about, you know, maybe even like the the nuts and the chocolate chips and the sprinkles that go on top of the whipped cream. Mm. But as as the mules, but the video evidence is, it's undebatable. I wonder if we're going to see any of these people because, I mean, they're, they're not blurring the faces of these people out. No. and So people are going to be like, hey, I recognize that's Daryl that hangs out at the bar down the street. Dinesh D'Souza says he has the phone information for every single person. And, and the way they identified, identify a mule in the movie was like there were so many pings that that certain 
like I the what was that thing called the phone the IOEM thing like you know the the identification number for uh yeah something like that IEM or whatever. yeah so once it pinged a certain amount IMEI of time, there you go that registered to them as someone who was and, and then they would go back and look at video evidence well it's your phone's fingerprint basically is it somebody going back and forth to work is that their normal place of travel but then they were able to like break it down even more because there's surveillance video of okay these people with this phone number who's pinging like a certain amount of times they continue to go to the ballot box and so these these ballot boxes all were required to have surveillance on them. Mm-hmm. So that's good. Yeah. And then with a FOIA request, they were able to get that information. Yes. And, uh, so know. I'm wondering some of these people that are going to get outed for basically being criminals. Mm-hmm. Do you think anybody's going to roll and be like, well, yeah, this, this person paid me. I mean, you got to figure they were, they were paying through third parties and, you know, Facebook ads and bullshit like that. Who knows? No, I mean, I agree. It, it, like I said, it's going to be, it just adds to the. I'm just hoping people flip, I guess, is what I'm saying. Right. To where there's, if you just say there's no debate, like it didn't happen, we now have video evidence that shows um, that it did, that it occurred in, in, in a lot of these places. And just imagine that it was, it was Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Arizona, and Nevada. Mm hmm. Um, a lot of the states that Donald Trump, we assume, probably should have won. Donald Trump was hyping up the movie as two. Let's hear it. It's uh, really amazing. It just came out the night before last. It opened. It had a premiere in uh, Florida, beautiful house, small little place, a quaint <laughs> place called Mar-a-Lago. And we had over a thousand people, very important people. And, you know, they'll try and suppress it as much as possible. But it's determinative. Definitive, whatever word you want to use. You know, they like to use determinative. That means election changing. Definitive election changing. Or just say it was election changing, probably. (laughs) But I hope you can see the genius of Dinesh D'Souza's incredible new documentary. It's called 2,000 Mules. And basically, Biden didn't get the votes, but he did get the ballots, okay, in a sense. It's good way to but look it's at an it. incredible yeah. it's an incredible documentary. I mean, if if the people that do this stuff is, were fair, this would get every award. There'd be nothing even close. This exposes the fraud like nothing else. Right now, their cameras are starting to turn off because they say, there he goes again. <laughs> and by the way, if I didn't go, we would lose a lot of our base. You know, somebody came up to me the other day and they said, sir, I'd like to thank you for something. What? You never conceded. Thank God you never conceded. Isn't that true? I never, I didn't think of it that way. Can't concede when you won. Mm. Ah. And these people that say, sir, you won. Many people, sir, sir, it doesn't matter, sir. You're leading by 30 points. You're up 70, 80 points in the Republican primary. Nobody's close. And you're leading Biden. I guess some poll came out. I'm leading him by like 15, 16 points. Who the hell wouldn't be? This, this person right here. Did you ever run for politics? No. You would be leading by more than me. <laughs> <laughs> but they say, and I hate it, you know, and they're friends. They're good people. They're good rhinos. You know, we have good rhinos too, by the way. <laughs> Not too many of them. But they'll say, sir, it doesn't matter what happened. You're going to win the next time. We may not have a country the next time. Good point. Yep. Good point right there. Well, well, yeah, because if this continues the way it's going, we're, we don't have a country. We have a dictatorship. Yeah. 
it's getting pretty ugly. And and you gotta have you gotta kind of be scared because the way that the the red wave is mounting at this point, like what are they gonna do to continue to hold power without just going egregiously further in the direction that they've been going with control, government control, and all the other stuff that they're doing? It's it's you have to think that there's going to be some sort of epic horrendous shit that's going to happen just to continue and then we've talked about it on the show a lot i I think they are ratcheting up the poor foreign policy crap the destruction of our domestic economy and the unrelenting non-enforcement down on the southern border just to keep our minds off of they're wiggling their way through all of that to kind of like clamp us down yeah and and repress our votes and our voices and uh, we're gonna have to take it to the ballot box in november and you know, get out in all your primaries and start killing it right now uh, by showing up in, in mass. So the Save America rallies are usually for somebody, and we've heard a lot of people connected to the Trump campaign so far. Jim Bognett, who's in the middle of a primary election, and that's going to be on May 17th. Make sure you get out there and vote for him. Mike Lindell, who's obviously one of our great friends, Dinesh D'Souza, and J.D. Vance, who was the winner in Ohio last week for the senatorial race there in his primary. Dr. Oz which has become a really controversial topic in uh, conservative politics and probably one of the ones at the forefront of the America First movement. There's a lot of people, based off of video receipts from his show, who think Dr. Roz doesn't necessarily line up with the America First agenda. You know, he talked about the relevancy and legitimacy of vaccines. He talked about, you know, things that are not pro-life over the years. My whole deal with Dr. Oz is... At the end of the day, all I care about is if him and Donald Trump behind the scenes have promised, listen, I'm not going to vote for Mitch McConnell for Senate Majority Leader. I am going to flip this seat for you, and I'm going to be one of the people who votes to get Mitch McConnell out. I mean, at the end of the day, you really don't need anything else more than that. Donald Trump's telling us to trust him off of their longstanding relationship. There's just a lot of people online right now who are just absolutely giving him a hard time. Now, you have to remember, out of all the people that are still in this race— you, you do have the one gal who's who's picking up steam. I, I don't have her name off the top of my head. Um, she she was the girl who last week she was at the uh, she was at the debate and she was talking about how she was a child product of rape and and she, she was pro life. Oh yeah, I forgot the name. Everybody's loving her right now. Yeah, but here's the thing: like, where has she been for the last ever? And and what makes her so? America first. I don't hear her necessarily lining up with, with Donald Trump. It's Kathy Barnett. Oh, that's um, right. Yeah. You know, and, and everybody else in the race is a rhino. And then you have the Trump endorsed Dr. Oz and then Kathy Barnett, who's, who's essentially picking up steam. We just have to be very careful and use discernment with this. Like this person's coming out there and, and just surging in the polls right now and pushing it back against someone who's, I'll be completely honest with you. Dr. Oz is not an attractive pick. Um, he doesn't come off as MAGA to me at all. Like I said, whatever him and Donald Trump have worked out was enough to, to gain his endorsement. I really don't think it's because they were both in tele- television for 30 years together. I think it's because they probably have, you know, some things behind the scenes that they talked about and have worked out. I reached out to some people over the last week in Trump world and talked about how some of the major influencers like Jack Posobiec, and I, I've tried to get in Jack's comments and ask him like, have you reached out to Dr. Oz? Have you talked to him about the issues? Have you tried to like sit him down one-on-one and maybe get receipts? And, and if so, like, is he avoiding you? Trying to play 
play it like diplomatically. I've got no answer from him. He's just 100% against him and 100% in for this girl, Kathy Barnett, who to me, she raises a lot of red flags. She just kind of came out of nowhere. And it's like, why are you trying to sneak her in at the end? So in talking to some of the people that are in like the Trump world orbit and are really close to the inner circle down at Mar-a-Lago, um, you know, they essentially let me know that they don't understand why Jack Posobiec is taking such a negative stance on Dr. Oz and not giving him any kind of the benefit of the doubt when there was a lot of other people who have been endorsed by Donald Trump who should have gotten, you know, into this uh, the exact same way and didn't receive the same kind of treatment. And also, you know, they just said he's on his own program and that's kind of the way he operates. So that's kind of that's pretty much the only way you can look at it. Um, and it's one of those things where I guess we're just going to have to see, we're going to have the primary here in a couple of days. And, uh, you know, once that happens, we'll, we'll, we'll get a better bearing on it, but let's hear Dr. Oz and, uh, see what he was talking about when Donald Trump called him up on stage. And if you don't mind, I'd like to have Dr. Oz come up and say a few words. Do we love President Trump, Pennsylvania? Has Joe Biden made us miss him even more? The only thing Joe Biden has built back better is the Republican Party. That President Trump leads, he sees the shining city on the hill. He sees it here in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. He's fighting to save it, but he's fighting for more. When you save the soul of Pennsylvania, you save the soul of America. And the rest of the world is watching us. They see a controlling, authoritarian, surveillance state of China. They see democracy giving rise to capitalism that President Trump made function so beautifully just 15 months ago. Seems surreal that it's been ruined so quickly. That's what we're fighting for. That's why President Trump, it means the world to me that you're here, sir. God bless you. And thank you for the endorsement. It, it doesn't sound too, too much like the audience was booing. Yeah. Didn't sound like they weren't receptive to him. Um, and, and again, like I said, Dr. Oz is not someone that's going to get an endorsement for steak for breakfast. He got an endorsement from President Trump. But at the end of the day, all you can do is take into consideration what were the factors behind that and what disqualified the other candidates from receiving that endorsement. Uh, we know via the Substack, there's a lot of money and influence, um, both from the Beltway and, and Trump's inner circle that goes into some people receiving endorsements. But I feel like in this situation, there's there's some kind of established relationship between the two of them that goes beyond just this very recent senatorial uh, race in Pennsylvania. I don't know. What do you think? It's pretty weird to see the way how the this is kind of split the MAGA base down. I mean, you have people online that are just. Like I said, Jack Wasobic, 100%, even Raheem Kassam, they're, they're jumping in there like receipt after receipt after receipt after receipt of, of things that, you know, here's my deal. Well, it's, you know, it's hard for you to think that people are going to change that much. It's sure. Like you look at Donald Trump, he hasn't changed. No. Like, I, don't, I, don't, I can't think of one thing he's really backtracked on that mm -hmm. he said and changed his mind on. And if, if you have that information, send it to us. But yeah, We'd like those receipts. Yeah. Here's the thing. You guys that are listening, people in the in the in the pundit universe. That, oh, to continue my thought, I, I apologize. Go ahead. But you also see, and you can see this in your daily lives, that there are people who 
said horrendous shit about the Republican Party, about Donald Trump, and now they're seeing what's what the you know the root cause of our country failing right now is what's in office right now. So that does change people's minds, and potentially that could be what happened to Dr. Oz too. Sure, and and there are a lot of red flags. Here's the thing. Dr. Oz has never been a never-Trumper. Some people who have won, and in like J.D. Vance's case, went on to win their primary and received Donald Trump's endorsement. He was a never-Trumper. Mm-hmm. Just to close your eyes and your heart and your mind to somebody because other pundits are saying you should 100% not, probably isn't the smartest way to do it. You have to do your own research. And at the end of the day, listen, this comes down to the people that are going to actually go out and vote in the primary for the Senate race in Pennsylvania. On a national listening audience, it seems to snowball into something so much bigger than it really is because you have all these people who aren't really connected to it, have no influence by means of their vote, um, trying to sway public opinion. And like I said, we're never going to endorse Dr. Oz. I just hope via this Trump endorsement and things that they've discussed behind closed doors that he is comfortable with him going out there, not voting for Mitch McConnell in regards to Senate leadership, and then you know holding on to the values that is this America First movement that seems to be like the lifeblood of this midterm election. At the end of the day, that's all you can kind of ask for. If Kathy Burnett is more qualified, then so be it. Let her go beat him in the primary, and then hopefully her numbers will stack up as someone who's a relative unknown against a more established Democratic challenger in the election, and hopefully it won't lead Pennsylvania to be something purple. But I'd rather Pennsylvania to be red like it should be. We need someone there who can win and represents the actual blue-collar workers, the men and women, the families of Pennsylvania that have been disenfranchised like no other in the last three election cycles. And, uh, you know, really do represent what the United States is all about. Unlike Hillary Clinton, who is definitely crooked. How crooked? Only Donald Trump can make that assumption. Let's hear him kind of weigh in on that. Crooked Hillary. Crooked. How crooked is Hillary Clinton? (laughs) Haven't heard that one in a while. Mm -hmm. The big crowd. Did you see last week? It was big. Thursday. They came out. They got into the law firms, I guess, or somebody. I don't know. They got into various people that were having to do with the Russia hoax. And they have emails like, I can't believe this is going on. They're believing this stuff about Russia, Russia, Russia. Let's keep it going as long as we can. It was set up as a way of explaining a fake. It was a fake con job. You know, con job was a con job. They set it up as a way of explaining why she lost. And we lost, and I'll tell you what, we made her lose. You know why we had huge crowds, she didn't have crowds? Anyway, it was an explanation for why she lost. It was Russia, Russia. Everyone said, that's strange. You know, during the campaign, people would come up to me and they'd say, sir, do you know anything about Russia? No, uh, why do you ask? No, I don't really. I mean, I can tell you about Russia, but why do you ask? I don't know, sir, just I hear about Russia. Then another one would come up and they'd say, uh, sir, have you had anything to do with Russia? No. Why? Why do you ask? That's a strange question. Then again, a month later, a young staffer would come up. Oh, sir, it's so, such a pleasure to meet you, sir. Oh, you're going to be such a great president, sir. Were you involved with Russia? I said, what the hell is going on with Russia? Disinformation. You know, they're full of disinformation. That's what they are. That's all they're good at, that stuff. But it's disinformation. And then four or five more times, I say, I call my people. I say, could somebody explain what the hell is going on with Russia? 
And then I see this guy on television being interviewed, one of Hillary Clinton's top ponchos, and he said, yeah, yeah, it was Russia. That's what it was. It mm. was Russia. It's always Russia. Russia. And we'll continue to, to go down that route as, uh, you know, the Durham investigation heats up in just the next few weeks. I believe May 20th is when we're going to get into some, uh, you know, really big stuff with that, and we'll be talking everything Russiagate with Cash Patel this Friday. So he's going to be on the show. Um, of course he was going to hit Joe Biden and you know, he was going to hit him hard. He's been finally calling him out by name at the rallies the last couple of times and talking about his cognitive decline and things of that nature. So can we get that cognitive test? Hmm. Trump did one. Just saying, how'd you know he was going to talk about that? Noah, let's hear it. Oh, Putin's kleptocracy. Yeah. Kleptocracy. The, klep- the guys who are the kleptocracies. He went to the jumbotron again. <laughs> the guys who are the kleptocracies. I got them. One point nine trillion dollars. He's got a montage so now. I wrote the bill on the environment. Pay them more. I'll lead an effective strategy to mobilize true international effort to pressure, <laughs> isolate, and punish China. We hold these truths to be self-evident. All men and women created by the go. You know the you know the thing. So the best way to get something done, if you if you hold near and dear to you that you uh, um, like to be able to. Oh. Anyway. Do you think we can get Christina Bob to have uh, Trump work a garrison button into one of those clips? Mm. Thank you very much. But it's sad, and he's surrounded by very smart but vicious people that I really believe hate our country. I really believe that because they are smart people. They're vicious and they use law enforcement to go after and hunt people. You see what they're doing. Nobody's ever done anything like they're doing. He's surrounded by these people and we have to be victorious. We're not going to have a country left. And once and for all, Joe Biden should Put the question to rest. I don't think we really need to know the answer because we already do. <laughs> hmm. By taking a cognitive test and releasing the results for the entire world to see. Just like I did. I did it. He did it. Noah. I actually didn't know that you were going to play that clip. That's awesome. Yeah. And uh, it, 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 I like that he's made a montage out of it now. How it, many presidents have had to take a a cognitive test like that or I mean not that Trump had to but how many presidents have here's the deal I, I don't think very many it, maybe in modern day have and if they have the the results haven't been released it's no. probably all the whole respect for the office just went away in 2015 yeah and, and even more so after Donald Trump actually won the election we don't treat the office of the president like with such high regard as we did even when there were scumbags in there, like the Bushes and the Clintons and stuff like that, who took 
less regard for the office of what it really was. They used it for themselves as kind of like mafia kingpins. But uh, we just don't hold it in that regard anymore. You know, we, we don't see presidents. Well, you don't see them. It's it's the same as uh, social media versus the newspaper. It's like you wouldn't see the newspaper withhold a president's statement Absolutely. back in the day. No, you, you make a whole lot of sense. And, you know, it's just one of those things where hopefully at some point the whole aura that goes around what being the president of the United States is will be brought back to the office. But I'll be honest with you. I don't think it's going to be something that uh, we see after Donald Trump gets elected again in, in 2024. Summer love part two. Oh, we're definitely getting it this year with yeah. the Roe v. Wade thing. Yeah. What we're also going to get that you only get on steak for breakfast and nowhere else, maybe except on John Bachman's show when he reviews the rallies, which I didn't catch if he did or not today. And if not, this is the only place you're going to get it if you didn't catch it over the weekend. So let's hear the outro. Forge the greatest nation in the history of the world. It was the hardworking patriots like you who built this country, and it is the hardworking patriots like you who are going to save our country from what's happening right now. We will stand up to the radical left lunatics and the rhinos, and we will fight for America like no one has ever fought for a country before. There is no mountain we cannot climb. There is no summit we cannot reach. There is no challenge we cannot meet. There is no victory we cannot have. We will not bend. We will not break. We will not yield. We will never give in. We will never give up. We will never, ever, ever, ever back down. As long as we are confident and united, the tyrants we are fighting do not stand even a small chance of victory. Because we are Americans, and Americans kneel to God and to God alone. My fellow citizens, this incredible journey we are on together has only just begun. It's just begun. And Oz is going to help us to have it keep going. Oz is going to help us. And it's time to start talking about greatness for our country again. We don't do that. We don't do that. We don't talk about greatness anymore. We talk about everything else. Mm -hmm. We are one movement, one people, one family, and one glorious nation under God. So with the help of everyone here today and citizens all across our land, we will make America powerful again. We will make America wealthy again. We will make America strong again. We will make America proud again. We will make America safe again. And we will make America great again. Thank you, Pennsylvania. Thank you very much. Thank you. I think he has some new moves for this one. There we go. Oh, wow. That was uh, the, 
what is it, syncopated. <laughs> he was definitely feeling it, and, and I think the people of Pennsylvania were feeling it too. Everything from what if he took like legit dancing lessons and just busted out like a full on like moonwalk and the whole deal? That'd I mean, be awesome. He used to be kind of a nightclub guy, but yeah. you got to remember, the man's nearly eighty years old, still got it. Yeah, and, and he definitely had it um, from bringing along candidates who have won their primaries. Um, like J.D. Vance, one who are going to win their primaries, like Jim Bognett, and hopefully, you know, Dr. Oz, if that's the way things work out, all the way up through having Dinesh D'Souza and some other great patriots there with him. It was, uh, you know, Mike Lindell, of course. A great rally out there in Greenberg, Pennsylvania, and uh, as they're getting ready to head into their primary, I've already mentioned it a couple times today, on May 17th, we need all of our Pennsylvania listeners out there and extremely active in voting for all of our great friends who are uh, running in the races there. So what we're going to do now is we're going to transition and could stay on the same thread, though, of talking midterm elections with a great friend of the show. More uh, importantly, one of the members of the War Room apparatus, the mothership. Boris Epstein is going to come on and uh, chat with us. All right, coming in next with us on the show today, he's the former strategic advisor to 45th president of the United States. He's also a columnist at Newsleak and all things related to MAGA. Boris Epstein, thanks for coming back on Steak for Breakfast today. My pleasure. My pleasure. How are you, team? Sir, we're doing great. We're working hard. We got a lot of primaries going on. Some have already ended. It's voting everywhere, and we're just trying to keep the listenership involved, I think, just as much as uh, you're probably doing a whole lot more of it on your end. Why don't you tell us everything that you've been involved with lately? Well, it's been busy on my end, no doubt about it. You know, there's been a lot of action. Obviously, we're in, as Steve Bannon and I refer to on War Room, we're in the 60 Days of Pain, right? <laughs> we started in Ohio. We're going to go through... Uh, all the there's elections going on uh, today and on Tuesday, uh, you know, May 10th, we've got elections in uh, Nebraska, West Virginia, you've got Pennsylvania on the 17th, and you've got Alabama uh, and Georgia, which is very major uh, on the 24th, and then potentially runoffs in those two states. You've also got the runoffs in Texas on May 24th. So a lot going on, very busy and very excited about the MAGA wins. You know, President Trump 55 and 0 between Texas. Uh, actually, 56 and 0 counting J.R. Majewski between yes, Texas, Indiana, and Ohio. So, rocking and rolling. MAGA's on the rise. You know, the the country club khaki Republicans are are, are definitely on their back foot. And MAGA's, uh, MAGA, under the leadership of President Trump, has taken over the Republican Party. And that's very exciting and encouraging to see. Yeah, you know, if you would have went out there and had 30, maybe even 40 wins in those early primaries, uh, you could probably say that, yes, he's still around. Yes, he's still got an influence over the party, but these are the ones that like rapidly follow him. But to go across the board with all of his endorsements, some of them m- m- aren't even like agreed upon all the time in, in, in the public sector, but it seems like he's pretty dialed into what he knows. Not only can he get over the hump in the primary, but be more of a force in the general election to up that record to 56-0, like you said, with Jared Majewski, who's a great friend of our show and uh, somebody that we've been backed on all the way since day one. It, it was pretty impressive to see President Trump's record as he rolled into that uh, Greensburg, Pennsylvania rally last weekend. No doubt about it. The president's crushing it, and I think he's going to continue crushing it. Uh, you know, there's some, a lot of positivity around Nebraska this evening. We'll see what happens uh, around West Virginia. You know, Pennsylvania is a heated race. There's a lot, a lot of different thoughts and, uh, and opinions on it. You know, I'm a believer uh, in, in, in the need to continue the strength of the movement and the strength of President Trump's endorsements. Uh, so, you know, I think we continue we continue to uh, to fight forward. And then, like I said, Georgia is, the to me, the first among equals because we have got to defeat 
feet, that rhino rat, Brian Kemp. There's no two ways about it. You know, and, and David Perdue, people have had some split opinions on him, but he's coming hot this race. And he said that the 2020 election was stolen or rigged. He's doing the right things. He's coming in strong. So I'm very excited about what he's got to bring. Yeah, you, you make a lot of good points there. Let's start to break them down. Now, Pennsylvania. You guys may want to have David Perdue on the show, actually. Do you, do you have his contact information? I do. I'm going to text you right now. We'd love to have him. We, nice. uh, that'd be great. And and definitely one of the uh, long list of governor races that we've had on here as well. We're having Carrie Lake come back in just about two weeks. Um, so in Pennsylvania, it, it has opened up for national debate. And, you know, we've tried to talk about it as reasonably on the show. We obviously love President Trump. I think even more so we championed the Trump era policies because we saw how much they benefited the nation. And that's the thing we've been really lacking here for now almost the last 16 months. Dr. Oz, to a lot of people, is a controversial pick. However, you know, when you look at it at other people that Donald Trump endorsed, Donald Trump has endorsed people who have been never Trumpers before. And he said it at a rally, I think it was in Nebraska, if he only endorsed people that never talked crap about him, there wouldn't be anybody left to endorse. I think at the end of the day, the, the Senate map strategy is, number one, People that Donald Trump endorse are going to carry out the America First agenda policies. That's most important and push back hardest against the Biden administration. That's probably why he's endorsing. But even probably equally is a 1A. It's who's not going to vote for Mitch McConnell to be Senate Majority Leader. I think if he secured those two things from Dr. Oz, there shouldn't be as much fear as being propagated all over social media right now in regards to, you know, the people in Pennsylvania voting for him this week. Well, here's what I'll tell you. First of all, you know, Dave McCormick's spending a whole lot of money, uh, you know, attacking Dr. Oz and, and McCormick, somebody who comes from the, you know, the the Bush background, the, the China background with his, you know, the biggest hedge fund in the world with Bridgewater. Right. So, you know, McCormick's running all those negative ads and their closing argument really isn't about McCormick. It's oh, President Trump's endorsement of Dr. Oz is somehow you know incorrect. But here's the thing. President Trump, it has got the best instinct for politics, and I think in American history, President Trump has been able to coalesce the movement in a way that no American, no American politician ever has. I mean, he got J.D. Vance from six to thirty-two yep. in two weeks. Have you ever seen? Literally, there's nothing that, that that is unparalleled in American history. I think it's unparalleled in world history for somebody in, in, in outside of dictatorial regimes, right? But in a, in a democratic republic, in, in a democratic elections, for somebody to have that sort of an impact is unprecedented. And so, you know, and look at J.D. Vance. So he's somebody who criticized President Trump in 2016, but has now, uh, you know, really coalesced and really come together with the MAGA movement and has become a MAGA champion and will be a good senator. Here's the other part. You also have to consider who's going to win the general. You yes. know, uh, Fetterman in Pennsylvania is now over 50 percent. He's blowing Connor Lamb out. So Fetterman's lieutenant governor. He's got a lot of strength in Pennsylvania, especially in the urban parts there in Philadelphia, Pittsburgh and others. So and Dr. Oz obviously has a big, uh, big persona, big national national persona, big media persona. And also he's somebody who can stand on his own. You know, I will tell you, I think it's very interesting to see how great Kathy Barnett is doing. And it does speak to the strength of uh, you know, strength of the MAGA movement and of the grassroots. And it looks like McCormick's actually falling to third now. Yep. So, you know, there's a, that, that's a, that's a very interesting dichotomy there, but I do say that I do think the hysteria against Dr. Oz by some in the media is, and, and, and social media is overplayed. And I'm not sure if some of a lot of it isn't driven by money, by people being paid 
to post these things and post these you know negative positions. I'm I'll tell you straight up, I'm not involved in the race. I'm not getting I have no business relationship with anybody in that race. But you know, I'm where President Trump goes when he's made a choice. That's where I go. You know, and I and that and that rule has 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 led me to to very good resolutions. That rule has served me well, and I think that rule has served MAGA very well. So uh, I would I would ask those to, that who are so loud and denigrating President Trump's endorsement to think about whether they would have the voice on social media that they have if not for President Trump, whether they have they would have the stature and let's be honest, the business opportunities that they have if not with if not for President Trump. You know, people people sometimes forget uh, how they got to where they are and start thinking of themselves as, as maybe a little bigger than they are when they're out there blasting away. And in, in, in reality, President Trump is the leader of the movement. He's spoken, and you know, I view myself as somebody who is a, who's a humble soldier in the movement. You know, you make a whole lot of sense, and that's a lot of the argument we were doing. We broke down the Trump rally uh, from over the weekend just before you came on. We played the Dr. Oz clip, and you want to know, for all the things that, that have been propagated online in regards to his negative reception, we listened to his clip in its entirety, and we, we really didn't hear it. And at the end of the day, it's like we may never fully endorse Dr. Oz, but we understand what goes on behind the scenes is is for between him and Donald Trump. And if, if, he's, if he feels good enough securing some of the things that I've already mentioned before, you know, you led into that excellent point, Boris, and it's one of those things where you're just going to have to trust him in his instant which like you said is probably one of the best if not the best ever in political history so no doubt about it no the two things you mentioned right in terms of you know, making sure that you're going to oppose mitch mcconnell and stick to maga policies right those are the two key things and 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 if somebody has come in they said okay this is where i'm going to be then that's what matters and you know we're not there in the negotiations for in the discussions for potential endorsement we're not there for in the in the negotiations you know between campaigns and 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 packs between campaigns and the media you know but all we can see is what you know what is the candidate running on and could so anybody say that dr oz is not running on a maga agenda i don't think so you know if anything again it's mccormick who's tacking to the middle you know giving a you know giving giving a wink and a nod to to the establishment oz is coming hot now so is kathy barnett you know and kathy's somebody who's a you know very interesting i think um you know wild card in this race and and you know i have to commend her on doing well but again I, the president has got the unbelievable background, unbelievable track record, and sense for politics. He's spoken, and that's where I am. Yeah, same. We feel just about the same as that as well. Let's take it on down to Georgia, which is heating up right now. They're in early voting, I believe. It started on May 2nd. It's going to run through the 24th, and we're, we're going to continue on there. We've had Herschel Walker on in the last two weeks. He was an amazing interview. Just uh, th some of the things he told us, you know, you hear Herschel Walker, and, and he goes out there, and he just seems like a big, humble guy. He's done so much for the community and mental health awareness. He's worked with the military. He started small businesses and created jobs down there in Georgia, and he just felt that it was time. We also talked about his longstanding relationship, which goes all the way back to the to the 80s with Donald Trump and 80s. How, yeah how close of friends they were that was something I think our listenership might not really have been aware of and and you know you hear Donald Trump run Herschel one last year and like you got to get into this race like where does that whole uh you know connection come in and we he gave us a really good take on you know how they just used to have dinners together when their kids were both really small playing together and it was it was pretty awesome but uh and the original the original usfl right the new york new jersey generals gave him his first professional football uh president job. trump owned the team i, I think that I, if I correct me if i'm wrong but i believe that, that that was the first professional team that drafted herschel it was two years before he went to the nfl gave him his first job in professional football See, boom we could talk politics we could talk sports we're all over the place you know we're gonna be talking about the ballet over here 
I don't know if I'm going to be really into the ballet. <laughs> we can still talk about it if you want. Um, but, you know, that race is, is is doing – Herschel's up by, like, nearly 60 points in the primary. Herschel's got it. That's it. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Let's talk about some of the other races there. I mean, there's some from – you could say all the way from governor to land surveyor that Donald Trump has endorsed, and there's people out there running around talking about the MAGA agenda. It looks like they're really trying to make Georgia great again. How do your feelings on stuff going on down there? So I'm helping David Perdue. I'm all in on David Perdue, okay? David Perdue has got to defeat Brian Kemp. And again, you know, people have got their own thoughts, their opinions about David could have come in a little hotter during the runoff, and that's probably true. But now we are we are where we are. Brian Kemp st- stabbed MAGA in the back and the front, and Brian, Perdue, and, and Brian, uh, Brian Kemp is somebody who just has not proven that he is there for the people of Georgia. I mean, especially this deal, $1.5 billion deal with, you know, with the Soros, the Soros back company. I mean, it's a disaster. The guy's a, you know, the guy is just a, a complete globalist mess, a rhino. And David Perdue is there to defeat him. And David Perdue is surging. David Perdue right now is in a better place than J.D. Vance was two weeks out from his election. So for all the MAGA out there, get, you know, get on your high horse, put your shoulder to the wheel, let's get David, David Perdue to a runoff. And then once he's in a runoff, I'm confident David will take it. We've got to get Jody Heiss also to beat Raffensburg. And then it's also very important for John Gordon to win the AG race. So I'm very, you know, I, I am very focused on Georgia, very plugged in in Georgia, very excited. But I'm also excited about Alabama. I'm, there, I'm, I'm, I'm advising Katie Britt there. I'm a big fan of Katie's. I think she's a, she could be a, a strong champion for us, for MAGA, and for the American people for a long time. She's young. She's energetic. She's got a wonderful family. You know, Mo Brooks has fallen off in a big way, and that's yeah. what happens when you go against the 3 November movement, right? You go up there, you say, hey, we got to move on. Boom, you, you lose 50 points in the polls and President Trump's endorsement. So, you know, I think there Mike Duran is somebody who said that he, that he wants more John McCain's and less uh, Donald Trump's. So as long as that, you know, once you say that, you're out. You know, I yeah, and we thank him for his service. Obviously, Black Hawk Down. You know, he was. You know, again, we're very honored and 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 a and a great soldier and patriot. But you know, that's not somebody we should be electing politically. So, the uh, you know, we we are seeing a, a huge surge from MAGA all across the country. You know, even in Missouri, you know, I've got a uh, in a congressional race there. There's a young guy named Kyle LeBrew who's. Who's a self-funder, you know, in, in Missouri Fourth, I, I, you know, I believe who's a who's a self-funder, a young guy who's coming in and he's kind of found the GM Majewski model, and I think that's very exciting to see. So, a lot of exciting things going on all across the country, but specifically on the 24th, I'm very focused on Georgia and I'm focused on Alabama. Yeah, those are two huge races there. We're actually trying to get in contact with Katie Britt, too. If you're working with her, we wouldn't mind having her on the show as well. We've had just about all the Trump-endorsed senatorial candidates across the country on. We're going to have uh, Alex Gray from Oklahoma. He's going to join us on Friday. And uh, we're going to continue to pump them out and support their races as much as we can. You know, you, you talked about us having Eric Greitens on last week, and he's someone that's been on the show like five or six times now. He loves to call in, give us updates. He knows how much we support him. He says, listen, shows like this, people that are out there working hard, like our ground game is getting them on there, letting you hear it. He says he sees a bump in social media media and in donations every time that he comes on the show so he's going to continue to do that and we urge everybody to get down here on steak for breakfast and talk about all these races that are going on i want to move out west i'll, I'll, I'll reach out to katie Britt's folks as well i think it's important for people to get on the, this is this is i love this podcast first i love the name okay because i'm a big boy and i love steak okay so i love the name but also i love what you guys are doing i think i think you know you're presenting a, an opportunity as you said to the candidates but you're also you're cutting through to the audience with no BS. And I think that's very important. And that's what MAGA is all about. So I'm a big fan of your guys. And, uh, you know, I'm people call myself a champion for, to, to get you as much access and, and exposure as possible, because I think you're going, you're going far places. So I'm a big fan. Nice. We're, we're working really hard here. And it's the only thing to do is to help 
make America great again. I mean, it literally, it sounds cliche, but at the end of the day, like we're all getting affected by it, whether it's the border, the economy, foreign policy, our kids in the schools, vaccines, you name it. It's, it's affecting us. We saw the huge change over the last year and a half and, and we've got to do something about it. Our most formidable way to get that done is at the ballot box, which is where I want to go out West. Now that there's some great senatorial candidates running out West here. You talked about it a little bit last time. He's been on the show with us a couple of times. We love him. Blake masters heating up in, in Arizona. Here. Oh, Blake's my guy. No doubt. Blake's my guy. Blake's the, best he had a great rally last week with uh, christina bob i think carrie lake stopped by she was there and uh seems really like he's picking up steam in arizona do you think he's going to be the senatorial nominee for the republican party there i'm i'm supporting blake you know i'm, I'm all in on blake he's my guy and uh, that rally was really great so it was supposed to be it was supposed to be a debate right, right. between uh be, between blake masters he challenged burnovich the agito debate on 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 the election work and Burnovich didn't show up. Christina Bob moderated, and then you know, President Donald J. Trump called in. And uh, you know, I, I, I'm sure you guys saw the clip of that. It yeah. was very exciting. So, and Blake did great. You know, Blake is the Blake, Blake is a big part of what we need in MAGA, right? Young, Stanford educated, undergrad and law. He's got VC background, business background. He's a total killer, and he's running as a MAGA candidate. He's authentic to to Arizona. He's from Tucson. So and he's young, right? He's younger than me. I'm 39. He's 30, I believe, 35 years old. So 36 years old. So Blake Blake Masters is exactly the prototype. And Katie Britt falls into that as well. Yep. You know, so does Eric Greitens, right? People who are young, under 50, running, exciting, MAGA, and they're going to be driving the agenda for a long time in this country. And so you know, compare compare our young leaders to the young leaders the woke radicals have and you know what do they got right they, they got weakness or they got old age so you know they got nancy pelosi or Elon omar so i'll take our people over that any Oof. day of the week yeah. jd vance goes into that as well right jd i think is in you know his not not even late 30s so again we've got a lot of young energetic killers who are up and coming and that's very exciting yeah it, it's it's it really is amazing to see such a diverse crop when you could talk in the same sentence and say Eric Reitens, Herschel Walker, Blake Masters, and also who I want to talk about running a great America First race, Trump endorsed in Nevada, Adam Lexall. Just the Adam's diver- another young guy, yeah. and a, a very close friend of mine. He's great. He's been on the show several times. Erica Knight's a great friend to stake for breakfast. She's she's helped develop our relationship with Cash Patel, which is I would have to say blossomed over the last year and a half. He's a he comes on once a month now. He'll be back with us on Friday. But it's just one of those things, Boris. When you talk about the diversity of all of these candidates that are running in America First right now, it's not a whole bunch of red hat wearing talking about building the wall like that goes into like their policy things but all the things they think whether it's ivy league education whether it's their service to the military whether they played into professional sports and then a parlayed that into like a mental health awareness and small business background the group that donald trump is assembling right now to represent the house and senate after the midterms elections is probably more diverse and and, and opens up the maga agenda more than ever before in my opinion in a huge way, in a huge way. And you've got people of all backgrounds, you know, not just coming up through politics, the people of all ethnicities, all, you know, you've got people of all religions, you know, Eric Grimes, I'm proud, I call him Jewish G.I. Joe, right? <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, he, and, and I'm always excited to see, you know, somebody who's a, a strong, tough, you know, Jew, you know, Jewish guy, people, you know, people of my background running for office. That's always, that's, you know, that's always amazing and important for me to see. And then you've got people, you've got a lot of veterans, you know, Laxalt, again, Greitens, uh, J.D. Vance. And then you've got people like, you know, Katie Britt, Herschel Walker. It's just, it's the amalgamation of the different backgrounds we have in MAGA, I think, is so exciting and, and truly pushes the narrative in a big way. And I, you know, I really love to see that and I'm excited to see it. 
And I mean, and by the way, I haven't even done it. Look at Max Miller in Ohio, yep. another guy, right? Jewish veteran killer. You know, we've we've got these people we're putting forward now who are going to be driving in every, and also people who are already in Congress. Elise Stefanik, you know, Elise uh, is somebody who's who I'm a huge fan of. She's the conference chair, replaced Liz Cheney. Look at that trade for us. We took out Liz Cheney, a, a never Trump rhino, and put in Elise Stefanik, who's young, energetic, and you know, has got a super high ceiling and is all in on MAGA. So we love to see that. Yeah, I think the biggest thing, the, the largest component to all this that I think legitimizes and galvanizes our base is the pushback that we've received from the K Street, typical country club Republicans no the establishment. You, you know, everybody from Carl Rove and Mitch McConnell all the way down to, to uh, Leader McCarthy have, you know, been pushing back real hard on like, okay, MAGA's good, but like this whole brand of MAGA where it's so diverse and, and, and spreading all over the country, it's just something like we've never seen before. It struck fear into the leadership in Washington, D.C. Do you think that there's going to be big time changes come after the midterm election? If you look at the Senate side, I think there's absolutely an opportunity for new leadership. And I think that's, you know, we've talked about this a lot, right? Mitch McConnell's completely outworn his welcome with MAGA. And how could you be a lead? You know, even Lindsey Graham has said that you need somebody as leader who has a relationship with the most important person in the Republican uh, Republican world and really in America, which is Donald J. Trump. You can't have Mitch McConnell running the Senate if you just got no relationship, you know? The McCarthy thing is more interesting, you know? And I, I think, you know, the, the tapes have come out and... Kevin McCarthy said the things that he said, which are obviously unfortunate, you know, on Jan 6. But he's also now gone out and, 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 and really promulgated and promoted President Trump, including from reports yesterday in Dallas. They had President Trump at the big NRCC dinner uh, and Kevin McCarthy introduced him and, and you know, said a ton of positive things about MAGA. That goes a little bit back to what we spoke about earlier. Right. If, if we cut off everybody who's ever said anything negative, you know, we're not going to have a lot of a lot of people around. So I think in terms of the McCarthy relationship, there's. You know, there's still a lot to be seen. And, and as long as we're, we're seeing from Team McCarthy and, and the leadership, their support for MAGA candidates, I, I think that there's a, a really, really strong possibility to, to grow together. But again, it all hinges on support for strong MAGA candidates and MAGA leadership. So, that, you know, that's, that's where we come down. So, yeah, I think there's going to be a lot, you know, I, no matter what happens, right? When we win 100, I'm hoping for 100 seats on the House side. Okay, and I'm hoping for huge wins on the Senate side. So when MAGA marches in after wins in November, when MAGA marches in in, in January of 2023, you're going to see a lot, a lot of change and a lot of positivity for, for America in terms of our border, manufacturing, strength abroad, spending. You're going to see a wholesale change uh, here in D.C., and I'm excited for it. And it's going to only build for even a bigger change come 2024 when we, as we all hope and expect, President Trump wins the election and walks back into the White House at the latest, January 20, 2025. Oh, you make a whole lot of sense there, Boris. And, uh, you know, Christina Bob, who's got her hand on the pulse, just about as good as anybody else. You know, she's working directly with the president now and Save America said this is the, hopefully the first, and it's starting to look like it with those win-loss numbers, of what will be the next three huge elections for this movement and solidify, hopefully, supermajorities in both the House and Senate moving forward, which includes sandwiched in between a little Donald Trump presidency, which we won't uh, all mind too much at all. We want to be able to have all of our That's listeners. That's what we're here for. Yeah, follow you, Boris, wherever you're at on social media, your website, and we'll live link it in the show description today. We really appreciate you taking the time to come out and uh, spend a little with us. Thanks, guys. you total champions. I really appreciate you. BorisCP.com is the website. That's where you sign up for the newsletter that I send out in the morning. So BorisCP.com. Go sign up right now. BorisCP.com. I'm on, coming in hot on Getter, as I say, at BorisCP. Hot on Getter at Boris EP, Twitter at Boris EP, 
Truth Social at Boris, and the hottest ever on the gram, Boris underscore Epstein. Gentlemen, God bless. Thanks, and I'll speak to you soon. We love it. The 2020 Strategic Advisor and former Special Assistant to the 45th President of the United States, Donald Trump, Mr. Boris Epstein. Thanks for taking some time to come with us on Steak for Breakfast today. Thanks so much. God bless. All right, jumping in right next with us today, uh, following our great friend Boris. He is the best-selling author of Deep State Target. He's in the, definitely in the crosshairs of the Obama administration. Former <laughs> Trump advisor, George Papadopoulos, thanks for coming on Steak for Breakfast with us today. Thanks so much for having me. Sir, it's our pleasure. How's everything going with you? Now everything's excellent. It's always a lot better to be on offense than defense. And uh, not only was I on defense for so many years, the entire country in many ways, uh, after the deep state went after uh, President Trump, his campaign and his administration, I really felt that, uh, you know, the entire country was targeted. It wasn't just, of course, myself and others. So uh, now the shoe's on the other foot. We're on offense and uh, things are going great. Yeah, you know, our listening audience is really keyed in to everything regarding President Trump, the MAGA movement, the agenda. We've had so many great people come on the show and break this down. Uh, Cash Patel is a regular guest with us. Uh, so is Amanda Milius. They did a lot of, you know, digging into that whole operation that went on that targeted you guys and all the things that went on to target President Trump and his family all the way from the transition up through the White House. It's starting to come out now. Why don't you tell our listening audience, there, there's probably some misconceptions that you could clear up that like the casual listener into the whole Russiagate thing and, and the Spygate thing wouldn't necessarily understand that you know it happened to be actual facts. Yeah, I'm, I'm very happy that uh, you did. You just uh, asked me to clarify a lot of things because um, let me make a couple points very clear. There were there was two issues going on in terms of facts and uh, innuendo and disinformation being spread out. Um, of course, obviously, for the first couple of years, you had the New York Times and the Washington Post and uh, basically the DNC uh, and them doing the DNC's dirty work and spreading all this fake news, disinformation about Russian collusion, not uh, reporting the facts. And then, of course, you had some well-meaning uh, conservative pundits and authors who, who got the story, I would say, half right, half wrong. And in this situation, you really need to have all the facts. And that's why... Um, I'm very happy that uh, you did want me to clarify a lot of things. And the thing that I think that I can confirm as a fact is that this investigation, if you will, called Crossfire Hurricane, never started spontaneously. What we are learning and what I know is a fact that we're going to learn much more as Durham continues this investigation was that this was a premeditated and pre-planned attack and investigation against not only, I think, Donald Trump's campaign, but other rival presidential campaigns themselves. I actually was working on Ben Carson's presidential campaign first. Then I joined Donald Trump's presidential campaign. And, you know, Donald and uh, Ben Carson uh, was the only candidate at the time that actually led in the polls against Trump. Of course, it was very, uh, for like a week or so, but of course there are going to be eyes against him too. So joining Carson and Trump's campaign, there was a lot of bizarre um, meetings and uh, you know spies that we later found out that were really running into myself, General Flynn, others, much earlier than the Crossfire Hurricane investigation apparently started in July of 2016. That's something I always knew. And then obviously John Durham and uh, Attorney General Barr basically uh, said the same exact thing when they said that the IG Horowitz's report was false, that he didn't get the full story. There was a lot more besides just the FBI's misconduct in this. And I think that's where the next steps are going to be uh, involved. We're going to see something about the CIA, what foreign governments were up to, 
and why they all were hell-bent on preventing a populist nationalist candidate like Trump from ever even getting to the White House, and when he did, to handcuff him from properly governing the country. Yeah, that makes a whole lot of sense. It just seemed like, you know, when, when you start to peel back the layers and see how, it's almost cliche, deep state this deep state was, and all the different facets and elements that they kind of put their claws into to, you know, make uh, candidates, advisors, and, and consultants, all people that were, were scheduled to work in the Trump administration have promising careers that were really going to represent the American people up in the Beltway and just kind of ran them all through the mud. It had to be one of the worst experiences of your life to have to go through this. Look, uh, like, you know, you said the right thing. I, I was a young guy. Uh, I worked in D.C. for five years, uh, going up to working then for Carson and Trump. And look, I had the opportunity to join basically any presidential campaign I wanted at that time. I was uh, working actually at a pretty uh, you know establishment type of place in D.C. called uh, the Hudson Institute, which had a lot of connections, obviously, to you know a lot of these rhino types uh, like Jeb Bush and Rubio. Uh, Rubio, I'm not, uh, I don't know too much about what Rubio has been doing because he seems to to really go with the wind with a lot of his policies. But uh, I decided and I made that decision to join two renegade campaigns, Carson and Trump. And even though I went through hell and back, I wouldn't change a thing because what what we were all trying to do here, including myself, others who are joining these campaigns, even General Flynn and others, you know, they were leaving pretty establishment type uh, roles and joining these renegade campaigns. And they were targeted for a specific reason because they did want to think outside the box. They did want these outside candidates that represented the American public to have a voice. They didn't want to simply go with an establishment type uh, candidates that so many thought were actually going to win. I was on the MAGA train going back to June of 2015. I think I reached out to that campaign when it was Corey Lewandowski and Hope Hicks and a bodyguard. So I was on board this MAGA movement immediately and people thought I was crazy. Obviously, I went through a lot of uh, difficulties initially. I had a very strong girlfriend and now wife who stood by me through it all. And uh, I came out on top and the American public now was finally getting to see what we went through and understanding that, uh, you know, five or six years later into this, why the Clinton team now is being indicted, why they're under trial and why they're likely going to see significant prison time for what they really did. And what they really did here was weaponize not only the American intelligence agencies, but the world against this campaign. So it was a miracle that uh, we did get out as unscathed as we did with uh, basically all that was thrown at us, and especially me. Yeah, you, you you tell it like it is. I mean, when you go back and really starting to get it into the, like the actual meat and potatoes of this, you saw that the Clinton found or the Clinton campaign went and they weaponized the Department of Justice, Department of Justices in other countries like MI six and stuff like that. Exactly. Places and contacts in Italy and just did everything they can to make it seem as legit as possible because they knew at the end of the day that there was no way this was going to happen. And even if there was some funny business, which obviously there was, it was not too much funny business. It was very serious stuff. But once they would get into the White House, they could just make it all go away with all of their career and and lifetime appointments and with their money and with all the people that would just be kissing the ring when they got there. It didn't work out for them. And now we're in a point, like you said at the top of the interview, where we're going into uh, work on offense. We've got things in the in the Durham case looking to heat up as early as May 20th. Now you want to give our listenership a little update on to where everything's going. Yeah, this, I think this is a very important moment to, 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 to have like a really quick summary of what Durham has been doing up to this trial upcoming that you just mentioned. Here's, these are the facts, right? Uh, 
the the Comey investigation, if you want to call it that, and Mueller's appointments were all about this individual named Joseph Mifson, who was running into me in London, uh, and he unsolicited and he told me unsolicited one day that hey, look, the Russians have Hillary's emails. Okay, now the entire old narrative about this individual from Comey, Mueller, the New York Times, Washington Post, was that this was some sort of Russian agent meeting with Papadopoulos in London, feeding him this information about Hillary, and that's how this entire thing got started. Okay, That was the old fake story that the American public had bashed in down their heads for three or four years. What Durham did that upended everything was after the IG Horowitz delivered his uh, testimony, I think it was in October of 2018 or 19, I can't remember the exact year that Horowitz uh, testified in front of Congress. That same day, both John Durham and William Barr, who was the attorney general at the time, said, we applaud the IG for his investigation, but we do not agree with the key findings, meaning we don't agree how the entire thing started. There's a lot more to the story. And this is all public. You could simply, your listeners can Google that statement. And why did he say this statement? Because a couple weeks later, both A.G. Barr and John Durham traveled to Italy, not to Russia, but to Italy, to learn from the Italian intelligence agencies who this guy Joseph Mipsud was, why he was meeting with Papadopoulos, and who told him to meet with me and to tell me this unsolicited information about Hillary and the Russians. So after he went to Italy, that's when this entire probe became criminal. Durham's investigation, let me repeat, became a criminal matter after the Italian government told him and A.G. Barr who Joseph Mifsud was, who was handling him, and why he was meeting with me. So leading up to that, after that, you had, of course, the Kevin Kleinsmith indictment and guilty plea, meaning the FBI top attorney that was working for both Comey and Mueller. He was indicted. He pled guilty. He's a convicted felon now. After that, you had the uh, contested election, and Durham has indicted two further people. The first was Igor Dunshenko, who was the top source of Christopher Steele. And now, of course, you had the Michael Sussman uh, lawyer who was indicted. His trial is upcoming. So why I wanted to really put this all together is to showcase, one, this thing was premeditated, and that's what I think Durham is about to expose. Two, that the FBI, Christopher Steele, and now the Clinton campaign themselves all were part of a joint venture to do this criminal activity against the Trump campaign and the American public. And that's why all three of these entities have either been indicted or now facing trial. I think, based on what I have seen and this information that Durham has against Sussman, this is a no-brainer. He's going to get convicted. And the key question is this, who does he flip on? Is Sussman going to go down in flames on his own? He's already a disgraced attorney. If he's convicted, which I believe he will be, he won't be able to practice anymore. Who is he going to take down with him? Was he simply a low-level operative, like they're trying to make it out, doing some dirty work without anybody knowing? Of course not. We know based on Durham's filings that this was not only a top attorney for Clinton, but he was also on the payroll of Fusion GPS. And that's why Fusion GPS was trying to hide all these documents up until recently the court gave them to Durham. So I think it's going to tie all of these entities together. I think he's going to get convicted. There's going to be a guilty conviction. And we're going to see him probably flip on the higher ups. And I think that's how this Durham probe is really evolving now at this point. So sorry for the long winded answer, but uh, I'm trying to give a little context to a very, very uh, confusing and uh, sensitive investigation that's going on. 
No, it's true. And, and, and one of these things that I, I like that you did, you laid it out so nicely for our audience because just in, in about a week's time, we're going to be sitting down and uh, really getting into the nitty gritty in regards to the Sussman trial. And like you said, it's going to be really interesting to see what has gone on behind the scenes that we may not know yet. Is he flipping? Is he giving information? Because he's looking at some, he's not just looking at stiff penalties. He's looking at some legitimate jail time here that could probably, you know, end as much of his adult life as, as you'll be able to comprehend with, uh, you know, the evidence that John Durham's probably putting together. Look, when uh, here's something that's very interesting, right? That um, so when Durham uh, indicted and uh, and got a guilty plea out of Kevin Kleinsmith, the FBI attorney I just mentioned, during his sentencing hearing, he used my example when he went to the judge and said, "What this guy Kleinsmith did was much worse than anything Papadopoulos ever did." And this is public record. This isn't just me saying it. And he said, based on that. He needs to go to prison and for a long time. Now, of course, the judge was some sort of Obama appointee and he gave him probation. It really doesn't matter. You know, at the end of the day, he's a disgraced person. Now he's never going to have a job in government again. And, uh, you know, it, it, that didn't bother me. Moving forward now, this whole thing with Sussman is what happens to him in this trial and whether he decides to take other people down with him. And I think that is really the key question that we need to be focusing on uh, moving forward. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that develops, and we're going to be keeping our eyes on it. George, you know, we, we've talked about uh, s- some of the things on this show. We ha- One of our biggest themes is, is carrying out the America First agenda. You know, the, the Trump whole thing, well, let's just take it even back a little bit more. You had the Tea Party movement in 2010. That kind of evolved and then de-evolved a little bit, and it was reborn with Make America Great Again, which was kind of a, an, an ideology. It was it was theory until Donald Trump went to the White House. We saw throughout the course of his presidency that that kind of manifest into what it really meant. It meant America first in trade. It meant America first in borders and national security and building up your military and supporting your law enforcement and things of that nature. And now we've seen what happens when those policies, which were stark contrast to any administration prior to Donald Trump's, are just completely erased uh, over the course of the last 15 months. We, we, we know that you go on a lot of uh, different news stations and, and you give a lot of great commentary on things that are going on in this country. Just from someone who's outside looking in and seeing how the Trump legacy and, and what Joe Biden's doing to try and erase it as hard as he can with this radical progressive left agenda, how, how disheartening is it to see, but, uh, you know, also good leading up into the midterms right now? Yeah, well, I, I feel, well, look, we're all, uh, we're definitely all as Americans not doing better than uh, we were a year and a half ago, that's for sure. A year and a half ago, the border was secure the world was more stable and food prices were definitely affordable. I mean, if you look at what's happening today, we're facing a simultaneous political security and economic threat, along with a health crisis and a border crisis. I mean, I don't think uh, the country has ever faced so many myriad threats simultaneously the way we have today under Biden. And if you just look back to his first uh, couple days uh, in the Oval Office, uh, he, he had this series of executive orders which uh, basically destroyed or handcuffed the American energy industry, which that was my background and what I still work on and what I was advising, uh, you know, the Trump campaign and Carson campaign on. You had insulin prices raised. You had this fake promise of stopping uh, the COVID pandemic, which uh, is still, you know, raging in in the U.S. And uh, I think while um, America First was vitriol in the ears and the eyes of the mainstream media and and in the eyes of a lot of um, confused people, 
I think it's music now to the ears of millions of Americans who see the disaster of the globalist leftist agenda and the and uh, the nationalist populist America first movements. And, and, uh, and now they're finally witnessing that the America first movement wasn't so bad. The America first movement looked out after the American worker first. And that's something that the Bush Republican Party and the establishment Republican Party was not a, in favor of. The GOP has finally become the party of the worker. It's become a multi-ethnic party as well. And I think that is the biggest success that Donald Trump has been able to bring to the America First movement, to the GOP. And that's exactly why he had 75 to 80 million people come out and vote for him. It wasn't simply based on his personality, obviously, even though his, he has an incredible personality, he's uh, an electrifying individual, and that, of course, all matters in politics, and optics matters for sure. But the policies that he instilled in America did so many great things that I think Americans in every spectrum, both left and right and center today, whether they voted for Biden regret it. And they do hope that Trump will be back in 2024. But even before that, you mentioned uh, the midterms and uh, Congress. This midterm election is the most important in modern history. And without the proper Republican Party in Congress, meaning no rhinos, but America first candidates, it doesn't matter if Trump is there in 2024. Because you had, as we saw in 2020, the rhinos obstruct his policies. He couldn't even get $6 billion to finish the wall while now we're giving 40 to $60 billion to Ukraine. It's insanity. So, And it was people like McConnell who were holding that up. Not Nancy Pelosi, but McConnell and others. So we need to make sure we get the right candidates there. I always tell patriots all around the country, every time I talk in conferences or on TV or great shows like yours, vet your candidates. The letter R today does not matter. You need to make sure that these aren't rhinos, that they espouse the America first values, and they're there to rep represent you. And that's the most important thing. When Trump got into office, he represented the people. That's why he was successful. He wasn't there representing himself. And that's something that many candidates could learn moving forward. And I'm certain that we're going to get the right Congress uh, back in power in, 20, uh, this, uh, in the next 10 months. Yeah, that's a lot of good points you make there, George. I mean, I think now in retrospect, a lot of people see that Donald Trump was not in this for himself. Mm -mm. I mean, he's out there yeah. doing the Save America rallies every weekend. He's hit every single weekend except Easter over the course of the last three and a half months out there supporting all these candidates who they feel represents the American people, the hardworking middle class, blue collar families, <laughs> which is another thing you talked about inclusion. What Hillary Clinton tried to pretty much bastardized over the course of 2015 heading into the general election for the president at that time was, you know, Donald Trump and his base were a bunch of white, racist, red hat wearing, you know, savages, the basket of deplorables comments and stuff like that. And then when you go to these rallies now, you see people from the private sector, like let's just say, for instance, Blake Masters, you have former football players like Herschel Walker, you have John Gibbs up in Minnesota or uh, in Michigan, people like Joe Kent, uh, Eric Greitens, who's like a former, uh, you know, Navy SEAL commando. You have every different type of demographic that is coming in and, and coming out as MAGA and, and wants to see, you know, these this national populist movement not only reborn, but just kind of be the way America needs to be. We could probably do so much else for the world in, you know, sending out aid and taking care of other countries and all the stuff that the radical liberal progressives like to do without having an open border, without having a destroyed economy, uh, because we're we're fiscally responsible with it. 
And I think when you when you do those America first policy first, which is hard on taxes and tariffs on our trade partners, not on like our American citizens and things of that nature, you definitely see uh, what we're hoping is a revival with this midterm election. Do you like some of the candidates that you see running and, and, and see how of a diverse group of people this is in the midterms? Absolutely. And uh, I've been very uh, happy to see, uh, well, clearly President Trump's uh, endorsement is gold in uh, today's uh, political environment. I mean, I think he's uh, 55 and 0 today and uh, endorsing the various candidates because he's vetting these people. He's vetting them. He's vetting uh, uh, Herschel Walker. He's vetting uh, Dr. Oz. I know that was a bit of a controversial pick, but he did his due diligence and he thinks that he's going to He's going to be a winner, and you know, if he wins, he's going to be fifty-six and zero, uh, and his endorsement picks. And I think uh, the president uh, is not a—he's not a loose cannon when it comes to this. I mean, his reputation obviously matters to him, but more importantly than that, getting the right candidates in office, and not just simply a Republican House, as I mentioned, because if you have a bunch of Mitch McConnells, it doesn't matter if they're Republican or not. You need to make sure you have the people like Blake Masters. You need to have. Herschel Walker in there. You need to have uh, Gibbs. You have to. These are the people that represent America. They are not doing this for themselves. They're doing it for their constituents. Herschel Walker is a ex-star football player. I'm sure he's not planning on getting rich in Congress. Blake Masters, the same thing out in Arizona. Joe Kent, an American hero. You know these people have dedicated their lives to becoming successful in their own ways. They're winners, and now they want to give back. And in the case of Joe Kent, who I really like, he's a U.S. hero. You know, he dedicated his life to service. He's seen action, and now he wants to give back. And he, every time I watch him, you know, he says the right things, and I truly, and I think he really believes that what he's saying, and that's very important today. So these are the people I like. I'm Obviously, President Trump liked them as well. He endorsed them. They're going to end up winning, I believe. And I think this is going to really be the start that's going to get Trump to officially announce he's going to run once we flip this House, once we flip the Senate and uh, get the right candidates in there. Yeah, that sounds great to us. That's what we've been trying to do here on Steak for Breakfast for a long time now, and it's really heated up with all the amazing candidates we have on this show and and influencers like yourself, George, which was one of the things I want to be able to have our listenership do is learn a little about you and your story. If they haven't read the book yet, tell us a little bit about it and then where you can find it. Yeah, thanks so much. Uh, Yeah, so look, uh, I I tried the. I had a couple long-winded answers uh, about the situation, and I really tried to summarize it as easily and quickly as I could, but it's an incredibly complicated story. And if uh, your viewers are really interested in uh, the genesis of how the entire scandal and uh, the spying started and where I believe it's going to lead up to, and if they want to get more familiar with some of the foreign governments involved, the real characters, the book is called Deep State Target, How I Got Caught in the Crosshairs of the Plot to Bring Down President Trump. It's on Amazon. I'm not sure that Barnes & Noble uh, or Target uh, carry it, and uh, that's fine, but it's certainly on Amazon. And uh, you could follow me on Twitter. I'm very active on Twitter, uh, at GeorgePapa19. I always drop uh, developments on there. Um, and uh, I'm always very happy to actually interact with people who have questions. Uh, as they say, my DMs are open, so just shoot me shoot me a DM anytime uh, you have questions, and I'm, I try and answer as many as I can. Yeah, I could honestly assess that because his 
I shot him a DM, <laughs> and here he is on steak for breakfast. George, this has been awesome getting to sit down with you finally today. I think it's been long coming, and uh, we'd love to have you back at some point in the future to talk about stuff, maybe after we get some more Durham developments in a couple months, but we're going to keep tracking you. We're going to live link your book today. We're going to live link your social medias, and we'll be looking forward to having you back at some point in the near future. Thanks so much. It was incredible, and uh, keep doing this uh, amazing work you're doing because uh, I think uh, you're, you're, you're hitting the, the right um, – the right uh, themes, and this is what the American people really need to hear all about, because clearly the mainstream media isn't going to cover it. So thanks so much, and uh, God bless. We really appreciate that. This is the best-selling author of Deep State Target, How I Got Caught in the Crosshairs of the Plot to Take Down President Trump, George Papadopoulos. Thanks for joining us today on Steak for Breakfast. Thanks again. Those were two great guests, to say the least. What do you think, Noah? Yeah. You know, you get so much. You never know which direction Boris is going to go in, but you can always be assured at the end of what he's trying to tell you, it will lead you to MAGA. Yeah, he is at the forefront of it. He is working so hard. I can't believe one guy he's based out of Arizona. You know, he'll do three or four war rooms a day. Then you'll see somebody share social media. Uh, They're at an event. Blake Masters, there's Boris in the background. And then like two days later, like Senator Purdue is doing something in Georgia. And boom, Boris is there on the sidelines working as well. It's like, where's Waldo? Find find Boris. Where's MAGA? No, we love him. And like we said, hey, if we could turn it into a, a monthly sit down with him and get an update on everything, he can do it for the two entire shows we do a week. Boris can get it done in 27 minutes. Yep. So once a month and get you guys all caught up. That doesn't mean you don't listen and download the show across every downloadable platform. <laughs> Please stop uh, not downloading it and download it for us. But And then George Papadopoulos, you know, that guy, he had such a promising career. He still has a promising career. I have a feeling his, his time in politics is not done. He's become an amazing political analyst. He does a lot of consulting still in the energy sector. And like we uh, said, it was a best-selling author. We are going to see his name come back to the forefront of a lot of news stories and more with this Sussman trial that's getting ready to get started on May uh, 20th. So it was great finally sitting down with him. Just a just a genuine person. You know, he, he it's as real as it gets. He kind of opens himself up and lets you in and, and talks about all the things. It was so, dude, guy went to federal prison for nothing. Oof. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things. He's about to get vindicated, and it's going to be great. Coming right off the back end of that, all things related to Durham, Hillary Clinton was doing some news this weekend. She sat down to talk about... Uh, well, she's still calling for war with Russia and talking about Vladimir Putin. Let's mm. hear her. Sorry, Noah. Get ready to garrison her. But <laughs> your big, aggressive, nasty neighbor oh. decides he wants what you have. He can't build it himself. I mean, the real story here is that he has failed as the president of Russia. Russia's development has hardly advanced because he has taken so much of the money out along with his oligarchs and they haven't invested in the people of Russia. So let's go take our neighbor who wants to look toward Europe and wants their children to have a better life. Let's seize their assets. Let's seize their rich farmland. Let's seize their mineral resources. Let's seize their ports on uh, the Black Sea. Let's continue to poke and prod them into a shooting war with the United States. Yeah, let's... uh... You know, I'd legitimately say all of the establishment, we call them billionaires in the United States. That's essentially what an oligarch is, right? Mm -hmm. You think all, I would say, do you think their buttholes tighten a little bit every time she talks about doing that stuff? But then you've already seen what they started to do to Elon Musk. And it's like, like they're hiding their yachts. Guys, all it's going to take is a flippage of the team for them to come after you guys. So, you know, everyone that's listening who might be a, well, I don't know how many Wall Street billionaires listen to Steak for Breakfast, but Mm. at some point, 
you know, you can only you have to get scared when you see the the United States coordinating with other countries around the world to seize yachts, to seize lands. Well, that's what everybody needs to think. It's like you could easily be on the receiving end of everything that's happening, like whether it's uh, medical persecution, religious persecution, anything like that. Like people are like, oh, no, everything's fine right now. We're only taking away these people's rights. It's like it could flip around and it could be yours. And just the same with these politicians. It's like that's the thing that scares me the most about the turning tide right now is because like who knows what they're going to stoop to to remain in power and make sure that they are not the ones that are getting their assets seized. And I think, you know, for someone, that's the biggest misconception about Donald Trump too. They all call him this radical, but the other side tends to actually do the things that they say. Well, it's a projection. It's always projection. Donald Trump does have a lot of controversial and like radical talking points. You know, he says, I'd like to do X, Y, Z, or I'd like to do this, that, or the other thing to this person. But when it comes down to it and you get them in like a room and it's, he's like, listen, they try to get a business deal done, which, which best, which favors America. But at the end of the day, like works out for everybody. You know, Donald Trump was a lot more of that than he was of anything else. He wasn't just like, no, my way or the highway and we're going to steamroll. He didn't have any real steamrolling in his, you know, there was just a lot of talking points that he wound up at the end of the day negotiating over the course of his presidency. I think that's one of the best and most diverse things about him. Um, And some of the things that people have, you know, raised the most, you know, anger about things that he said off the cuff, a little bit more of uh, talking out your ass than than anything really, you know, he got, he got in the weeds a few times. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And, uh, you know, who's, who's still in the weeds is some will call him Lindsey Graham. We've learned that his name is Lady G. Lady G. Uh, that's what Daniel Bostick calls him. I like it. And Alex Brusowitz, um, two people who did not organize January 6th. He did the Fox news Sunday circuit this weekend. He's still talking about no fly zones and shooty shoot wars. Let's hear him. Mm. We're in a fight for the, the, the future of Europe. Uh, NATO needs to get bigger, not smaller. If Finland and Sweden join NATO and Europe breaks away from dependence on Russian oil and gas and Putin's declared a war criminal, it'd be the best outcome for the world writ large. <laughs> China would be less likely to go into Taiwan. So I disagree. There I wouldn't think be much we of a world left. within our power. I'm not asking for troops on the ground. Yet. But to make sure that Ukraine can expel Russia oh. and that Putin's a war criminal in the eyes of the world and that he's prosecuted, Putin must go. I like Tom Frieden, but if you, if you don't understand this, that if Putin's still standing after all this, then the world's going to be a very dark place. China's going to get the wrong signal, and we'll have a mess it's on like our hands one of those in Hawaiian Europe for decades takes. to come. So let's take yeah, out put Putin an apple in his mouth and right at home. All right, so you're saying that that's how this ends, that Putin is removed. Uh, is there any way? There's no off-ramp. There is no off-ramp. Oh, good job. Thank no you. Way to lead him down that road, so, Brett Baer. Let me tell you why there's no off-ramp. The Ukrainians are not going to give the East to Putin uh, to, to stop the war. They're going to fight for every inch of their territory. If we push the Ukrainians to give up half the country, then Putin wins. If we back off prosecuting Putin as a war criminal, all the laws on the books become a joke. If we don't get this right, China will certainly invade Taiwan. There is no off-ramp in this war. Somebody's going to win and somebody's going to lose. And I hope and pray and do everything in my power to make sure Ukraine wins. And Putin is in charge of a state state sponsor of terrorism. That designation needs to be given. Uh, to Russia. He's earned that designation. We need to pour it on when it comes to helping Ukraine. Last thing, at what point do you think Putin is going to move on Moldova or Poland or some other way He's not. that draws the West in? Do you think that that's inevitable as he gets more desperate? 
Well, Moldova is not part of NATO, but I do believe he could use chemical weapons because the people in Mariupol are False fighting flag event incoming. If he uses chemical weapons oh. to subdue the East, that should uh, lead to a no-fly zone by NATO to restore the international order. If he explodes a nuclear weapon inside of Ukraine to break our will, then to me that would be an attack on NATO because the radiation will go all over Europe. I could see him getting more desperate because there's no off-ramp for him. Here's what I think will happen. If we stick with Ukraine, they're not going to get up. Over time, the Russian people won't turn on Putin. This war is a disaster. You'll see a parade Monday, but the parade doesn't reflect the Russian military. You see the Russian military getting their ass handed to them on the battlefield in Ukraine. We can win this war uh, on behalf of Ukraine if we help them. How's that uh, experiment mm. known as Afghanistan going, yeah. Lindsay? Well, it's like, <clears throat> mm. what, what, is the, what is the benefit? I mean, obviously, Russia takes part of Ukraine is there extreme tactical advantage for Russia, like when it comes to assaulting Europe, no, quote unquote? They're just making their backyard a little bit bigger because of how NATO's expanded over the And then last for time. us, like, does it really matter to us if part of uh, Ukraine is now Russia? I mean, it was the USSR previously anyway. Mm-hmm. Did anything change then? Well, people who were. Why do we care? Why are we sending them so much money? Right. A lot more money. We like, just, we just get, we've eclipsed 13 border walls today. Uh, yeah, we've just appropriated even more, believe it or not. Well, it seems like you're a little bit aggravated. Buckle up because it's going to get worse. Buckle up, buckaroo. Yes, one of my favorite <laughs> clips also. Um, so the midterms are looking pretty bad for the radical progressive left now. They know their time Good. in power is short. Um, the only thing they could do to stymie this movement is create things that aren't real. I can only imagine what you're thinking. There are more though. genders? Let me let me clarify for you. That this is based on a range of internal and external models. Could the White House point us to which specific models were used to get to that number? There are a range of, as he said, internal external models. Um, well within that range is that number. Uh, what hit the point he was making is that we know what we need to do. We have put out an entire playbook to address. The pandemic to uh, help uh, a preparedness plan to ensure Americans are protected and that we stay on the front foot in our fight against COVID. If we do not take action, we also know uh, that there are, uh, we know that the virus is going to continue to evolve. And without us staying vigilant and prepared, like not having access to life-saving vaccines, testing, Uh, therapeutics, it it has the ability to upend our lives. So uh, he is a doctor himself, as you know, a very experienced one. He talks to a range of experts internally and externally. Uh, There's a range of uh, models that are out there, uh, and this is well within that range. And the point he was making is about the impact if we do not act, if Congress does not act. Mm. Mm -hmm. The the virus continues to evolve. Mm -hmm. When a virus evolves and mutates... It gets weaker. Yes. And it matters less. They're talking about now a super surge. Believe a it or not. Super surge of the sniffles? At some time around early November. Fuck my life. <laughs> These fucking people, man. It's over. It's fucking over. Yeah. It's over. It's been over. I mean, we're in Southern California and there's a lot of it's it's over a lot here. The only the only people it's not over for are the people who are completely brainwashed. Like I still see people driving alone in their cars with masks on. I see fucking children. Walking from the bus stop with their fucking masks on. It's like, you know, I'm not going to be rude and, you know, like pull over and be like, why are you doing that? But I, almost, I want to. I almost did yesterday. It, uh, we went to the baseball game last night, my family and I. It was my son's first professional baseball game. 
we were we were crossing the street afterwards and someone like didn't stop at a stop sign and rolled across the crosswalk like right in front of us as we're walking and then stopped in the middle of the street. Mm-hmm. And before I could get down to like yell in the car, it was like a little old man with huge black flame framed glasses and a mask over his nose. So it was probably all foggy. Oh yeah. He can't see where the fuck he's going. No. So I, uh, I sold a piece of furniture on one of the online marketplaces the other day and these young, like college age kids showed up to pick it up in their U-Haul. They were moving all three of them getting out of this U-Haul truck wearing masks. So my initial instinct was to say what I've said on numerous occasions to people. Are you wearing that because you want to or because you think you have to? Because you don't have to here, you know, meaning my house. (laughs) But instead, I just chose to introduce myself and shake hands barehanded with all of them. Did it make (laughs) them feel awkward? It was was hilarious. Well, you know what else is hilarious? When Big Steve Bannon weighs in on this upcoming thing, which is the newest variant. We're going to have to find it. We've already done Ligma and Sugma and... All the other ones. You're a COVID expert, so mm. don't worry. We have some time between now and November. Let's hear Bannon. I mean, the only thing I can think of is like anal cron. <laughs> Here's the tell. On Morning Joe today, with everything crashing, these sweeping victories of MAGA throughout the nation, you know what they're talking about? A surge, a huge surge of a new surge of COVID, 100 million people or something like that. And, and guess when? Hmm. The fall. Now, what else has happened in the fall? Oh, that's right. There's a midterm election. Has that happened? I think a midterm election. No conspiracies, but no coincidences. I like it. Mm. Not bad. So we know now after the last few weeks, ultra magna MAGA is a thing. Ultra MAGA. Well, you remember Joe Biden like said that whole ultra MAGA movement. Um, listen, she's only got four days left, but they're, oh, they're, fuck, they're, it's just the, they're, they're going to give her the hardest time between now. Can I borrow Donald Trump's time machine so I can just skip the next four days? <laughs> Come on, we'll have a couple of clips, and it's going to be her farewell show by the time. Do you time think we they're going to throw her, throw a party? You bring her a cake to the fucking press pool or something? Oh yeah, they're going to do the whole. I mean, she's been involved in, in maybe a stripper out of a cake since since, since the beginning of Obama. But uh, she was asked about you know transgender stripper, of course, the MAGA crowd or now ultra MAGA crowd, and Joe Biden, who's supposedly a bipartisan guy. How does this resonate with him? Let's hear her answer. The the president and you have talked about the MAGA crowd or the ultra MAGA. Um, how does that jive with his desire to be the bipartisan guy? She said jive. Well, the president's view is you can do both. Oh, he believes oh. that there is work we can continue to do together. We're, we're actively advocating for. He was out traveling in uh, just last Friday on the uh, Bipartisan Innovation Act. We believe that needs to move forward. It should move forward. Uh, and that can, be, can build on the nearly 80 bills that we signed into law last year that are bipartisan. But he's also not going to stand by uh, and not call out what he sees as uh, ultra-MAGA uh, behavior, ultra-MAGA policies um, that, that are out of the main of the country and are not in the interest of the American people, whether that is efforts to prevent a woman from making choices about her own health care or whether that is Chairman oh. Scott's uh, policy and proposals on uh, that would raise taxes on people making less than $100,000 a year. Stop um, it. He's going to continue to call that out, but he believes there's still a path to move forward on where we have agreement. Hmm. So these uh, non- non- bipartisan, nonpartisan, what was it? What do you mean? 
what she was just saying. Bipartisan legislation? Yeah, so are are those only bipartisan just because some rhino jumped on board with it? They literally take wins for, like, passing the DHS budget as bipartisan. Oh, so that's just something that just has to happen. It's going to happen. Or or the lights get turned off everywhere. (laughs) But that's a win. Yeah, huge win. Everybody gets a trophy. Good old, hey. Participation trophies. Bipartisan Joe. Bipartisan participation trophies. Scranton Scranton Joe. PA. Oh, I saw today he had a 73% unfavorable rating. 73. So that means it's almost at 100%. Yes. Might be at 100%. I don't know anybody who could just like get up in the morning and be like, Joe Biden's my president. I'm going to fucking twist my own nipple. How happy I am. There's a couple of those in my DMs. Sorry. Former Secretary of Defense Trump appointee who only got his job and fame from Donald Trump now has written a book. A tell-all book stays in the same thread of the ultra MAGA policies that Donald Trump tried to enact as the president. I know you've heard about this one, Noah, and you're a huge fan, but let's hear him actually talk about it. President pulls me aside on at least a couple occasions and suggests that maybe we have the U.S. military shoot missiles into Mexico. <laughs> shoot missiles into Mexico for what? He would say to, to go after the cartels. And we would have this Love private it. discussion where I'd say, Mr. President, I, you know, I, I understand the motive because he was very serious about dealing with drugs in America. I get that. We, we all understand. But I had to explain to him, we, we can't do that. It would violate international law. It would be terrible for our neighbors to the south. It would, you know, impact us in so many ways. Why, why don't we do this instead? You politely push back on the idea. <laughs> Did President Trump really say no one would know it was us? Yes. <laughs> Yes, I, 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 he said that, and I, I just thought it was fanciful, right? Because, of course, it would be us. I was reluctant What's to tell this story mean? because I think, I, I thought people won't believe this, that they'll think I'm just making it up. Like we've never done in, secret drone strikes before. In, in, in Trump's orbit, we'll, we'll dispute it. And then I was having dinner after the election in 2020 with a fellow cabinet member. And, and he said to me, he goes, you know, remember that time when, President Trump suggested you shoot mes- missiles into Mexico. And I said to him, you, you heard that? He goes, oh, yeah, I, I couldn't believe it. And I couldn't believe how, how well you managed and talked him down from that. And at that moment, That's I knew I got to write the story there, yeah. because I at least have one witness who will verify that this really did happen. When asked whether Esper's story about Mexico was true, this, Donald Trump said in a statement 60 to minutes. 60 Minutes, uh. no comment. Esper says to fact check his book, he sent all or parts of his manuscript to more than two dozen current and former four-star officers, senior civilians from the Pentagon, and cabinet members. 60 Minutes spoke to six of them who said what they read was accurate. Hopefully those aren't the 51 former NATSEC officials. And my non-regional diction. Right, and, and six former heads of the CIA who all said that the Hunter Biden laptop was Russian disinformation. Because it would be unfortunate if they did. And he's... Just a total fucking grifter. There's no... There's no fucking way that he's talking about just, like, randomly shooting missiles into Mexico. He's probably talking about drone strikes on narco labs and cartel facilities and shit like that. And in the case that that would be happening, obviously you would have to have permission from the Mexican government to do so. Because you couldn't just be, like, a secret drone strike on something on that kind of level. Like, we've done it in other countries where we've blasted... Oh, you're talking about Obama blowing up schoolyards and aspirin factories saying they were well, t- I mean, terrorists? Yeah, but those weren't, like, secret. Like, nobody, like, you know, they fired them off without, you know, but I guarantee our country's done that. Listen, I tell you what, and I'm not discrediting anything that our servicemen and women has done in Iraq and Afghanistan, but the failed war on drugs that we've had with Mexico since the 60s 
a whole hell of a lot more of our Americans have died yeah. because of the shit that they do down there in our own country than ever have fighting overseas. Well, and that's why it's even more important for us to to levy these sanctions on China and do all we can to bring production back to America. Like, that shit with the fucking medications, like, what, 13%? Yeah. Of all pharmaceuticals? Okay, so we got that aspect of it. And then we have the fact that they are the ones supplying all of the precursors or a large majority of the precursors yeah. that are going into Mexico to produce the stuff that is literally killing us. Yep. So why are we still trading with them? Why are we still... Half a trillion dollars a year. And why are we allowing our green agendas to bankrupt and just just completely destroy all of our economic sovereignty while they do everything that they can to just like how many nuclear plant or not nuclear plants how many coal plants have they built this month i wonder mm. probably another five mm-hmm. no idea mm-hmm. yeah. when the middle class fails in america so does america yep and they're doing everything they can to erase it right now um switching gears nancy pelosi was on it was post-mimosis, so she's a little slurry. Mm. Yeah, she was on MSDNC this weekend uh, talking about some breaking news regarding the, no, I'm sure you saw it, Antifa and all those people are picketing outside of the Supreme Justice's houses. They've already had to move Justice Alito and his family to a secure location and grant him additional security because of some of the stuff they were doing outside of his house in a threatening manner. Um, And the McCluskey's out there. God forbid. God forbid, because that's bad, but... Being an actual Supreme Court justice, that's completely fine. Let's hear her try to rationalize it. This is, a, I think, a right now crisis for a lot of women in this country. What do we do for them right now? Yes, I think we have. I think you're absolutely uh, right. Uh, we have to be uh, have a clarity in what this draft decision means so that the, <laughs> the final decision doesn't go that far. The chief justice has said this is this is authentic. But it is not final. I don't want mm-hmm. to use the word authentic. It's real, right. but not final. So, uh, again, the, uh, Lincoln said public sentiment is everything. With it, you can yeah. accomplish almost anything. Without it, nothing. And women just have to weigh Kinda in. Like the Biden ratings. I don't yeah. think there's a good outcome here, but I think there's a better outcome than what we have seen in the first draft, which is radical. So what she's saying is basically you can scare them into changing their decision. Yeah. Um, Clarence Thomas said there will be no intimidation and whatever they vote on as being final will be final. Uh, I'm only giving it to you because we ain't going to be playing her after. I mean, maybe when she's on her MSDNC show. No, let's just completely ignore that one. Just like everybody else will. Nobody's going to watch that shit. True story. It's going to fail as bad as CNN Plus or whatever the fuck it was called. CNN Go. What the fuck was it? CNN Plus? CNN Plus. Yeah. Still have more downloads. Love it. <laughs> Christopher Wallace. Let's hear Saki weigh in on the impending violence. Inside the homes of, of judges and, and Supreme Court justices uh, is, is part of freedom of expression and, and part of what we do in the United States. But there's a, there's a law in Virginia that actually prohibits um, uh, protests outside private residence, even when done peacefully. Um, so I'm wondering if uh, 
any sort of uh, demonstrations outside of private homes might run afoul of that law and other laws like it in other parts of the country. We're certainly not suggesting anyone break any laws. I would note that the president's view has long been, and I tweeted this earlier this morning and repeated and made a number of these comments last week as well. Well, that, apparently nobody was breaking uh, the violence, law threats, the and, and intimidation have no place in political discourse. Yes, we are stop. a country that promotes democracy, and we certainly allow for peaceful protest uh, in a range of places in the country. None of it should violate the law. No one is suggesting that. Uh, and it should never resort to violence, to threats, to intimidation in any way, shape, or form. Uh, mm. Just like when we had literal government officials basically saying that it needs to escalate yes. previously. So, and bailing all these people out and not charging them means that they weren't breaking the law. So basically we're just asking for more of the same or not we, they. Yes. It's, it's fucking clown world. Lori Lightfoot, mm-hmm. the mayor of Chicago. I don't have a clip from her. Beetlejuice. That's once. <laughs> she actually called for, I believe, armed resistance to the Supreme Court mm-hmm. this morning, and it is still able to be on Twitter. Wait. Yes. No, she wants, like, to protect protect the Supreme Court, or they want people to, like, armed assault on the Supreme Court. Well, I don't understand. Lightfoot made the remarks amid reports that the Supreme Court is planning on throwing out the landmark 1973 ruling that legalized abortions across the country this morning. Um, and I'm paraphrasing from a Newsweek article I just pulled up. It says Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot has called out, has put out a call to arms demanding that action be taken to ensure the rights of 500 different letters, LBG, whatever, are not also targeted if Roe v. Wade is overturned. And the tweet is still uh, up on Twitter. It says actual, like, Take up arms or like- would, you, would you like me to read you the tweet? Yeah. To my friends in the whole bunch of letters community, the Supreme Court is coming for us next. This is the moment to be called to arms. We will not surrender our rights without a fight. And this is a fight to victory. Yeah. I mean, that that verbiage can be innocuous. Here, in here's what I'm going to do. In, no, in certain circles, but not these circles. No, not at all. So let me just tell not you. Not when we've seen the summer of love. Replace Donald Trump with Lori Lightfoot, same tweet. And oh, no. Instead of LBGT, it's border walls. Trump would have been... Riots blo- everywhere. Trump would have been blocked after the... Yeah, pretty much. Even though Elon Musk said he's coming back today, Jack Dorsey weighed in and also agreed that Donald Trump's permanent lifetime suspension was not in line with what First Amendment constitutional rights implore. And Jack Dorsey said that? Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, it's pretty interesting to see how the, the players are coming out well, of the Well, they're holes. protecting themselves. Yeah. Just a little bit of news left, Noah. Joe Biden was out stumping. And remember, so we always get this thing wrong, and I go back and QC a lot of the episodes. As soon as Joe Biden starts talking, we always start making fun of him, like on the microphones, but then you can't hear the clips because no matter where he talks, they only put up like 15, 20-second clips before he starts fucking up. Yeah. So we just got to let it play out, and then we'll hit him with a garrison button. He was stumping on the Academy today. Um, You'll probably love this little tidbit. I built a strong, we built a strong economy with a strong job market. And I agree with what Chairman Powell said last week, that the number one threat is the strength, and that strength that we built is inflation. So the Fed should do its job, and it will do its job, I'm convinced, with that in mind. Get all that? <laughs> Jen Psaki was asked to clarify those comments today. Let's hear this in our last audio clip of the day. 
then just to make sure, like, what he's saying is the pandemic is distinct from the spending in response to the pandemic, and he does not believe that the size of the spending mattered with regard to inflation. Again, uh, no. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> this is where we're at today. We, we had a great episode, and it's one of those things where you just have to continue to uh, follow us down this road because we're all on it together, and at some point we're going to be uh, – you know, getting closer and closer to the midterm elections to ensure that we'll be getting this country back on the right foot, hopefully. Um, if any implications are in the form of Donald Trump win-loss numbers early on, I'm extremely hopeful. We do have a lot of battleground tests ahead of us lately, namely Pennsylvania and Georgia. Georgia, you're already, already vote, early voting, and if you're not getting out there for David Perdue, you better be doing so. And Herschel Walker, consequently, is going to be on the program with us pretty soon. So, And we'll have Herschel Walker back after the primaries. Um, and then in Pennsylvania, listen, Doug Mastriano, 11 points ahead in the latest governor race. I love that. There's so many good House representatives there. We've had Jason Kilmeyer on today. We had Jim Bognett on last week. And then, of course, we got to kind of hitch our wagons to Dr. Oz. We don't always like doing the things that are hard. But at the end of the day, or says it's MAGA and no one I feel it's MAGA, then it's definitely going to be MAGA. Um, don't forget to follow the Steak for Breakfast podcast across every downloadable podcasting platforms. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Podaddict, Podbean, Google Podcasts, FM Player, and now iHeartRadio. Check us out on the Patriot Podcast Network via the Roku app as well. Subscribe to the show and rate it, leave a review, and don't forget to download, listen, like, follow, and share Steak for Breakfast content. Show creds go out to all of our amazing guests today. We had on Jason Kilmeyer, who's looking to represent Pennsylvania 17 in the upcoming midterm elections we had on Boris Epstein of War Room and all things MAGA and then former Trump administration official uh, someone who got thrown under the bus by Obama but looks like is about ready to get vindicated George Papadopoulos in addition to some of our internet friends Cagbro88 Kyle Becker of Kyle Becker News Patriotic Babe Accounts we got Christina Bob of Save America and Tom Papper the editor-in-chief of Valiant News Live don't forget to go and visit our partners as well. Remember, when you do that, the only thing it does is help make small American businesses great again. Mike Wendell, Humble Pillow Farmer, My Pillow Apparatus, 66% off, enter promo code steak at checkout. Can't beat it. Get down there, throw some money at Mike. It's the most comfortable night's sleep you'll ever own. MyPillow.com forward slash steak is the website, or you can talk to a qualified pillow representative at 1-800-658-8045. The top tier of ear gear and all things related. You get more than the highest quality headphones when you spend some money at Odyssey.com. Find them at Facebook and Instagram as well. Stay ready gear holsters. Time's running out. Jen Saki, conceal carry Kydex melted plastic blob underneath your shirt that carries your favorite everyday carry pistol. You can find them at stayreadygear.com. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Man rubs. Don't mistreat your meat. Mm -mm. It's, 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 it's literally a sin. It's probably the 11th commandment. Or the first if you... Well, it definitely has some references to Adam and Eve. Oh, yeah. There you go. Because when you buy it, shake it, sprinkle it, rub it, slow cook it, take it out, pull it, drizzle a little barbecue sauce, Hawaiian roll this week, no one, throw it in your mouth, num, num, num. There you go. Mike, down at West Coast Survival Arms, has a simple equation for all your gun-related needs. Firearms, parts, accessories, and ammo. Easy-to-use website, westcoastsurvivalarm.com. He's on Facebook Messenger and via the telephone, 619-870-6992. 
Mediochromatic for all our first responders. If you don't like what they got going on down there, I promise you'll like their Instagram. You can find them at mediochromatic.com. And last but certainly not least, home of the Zero Fucks Duck, Dumpbox. Find them at dumpbox.us. Find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Upcoming shows, we've got a big one scheduled for Friday. Don't worry, Noah, they're all 30 minutes long and right in a row. Perfect. Mild to no editing at the very least. We're going to start off with Cash Patel. Then we're going to sit down with America's top cop, former commissioner of the New York Police Department, Bernard Carrick. Oh, nice. We're going to talk about the Sussman case. We're going to talk about impeaching Alejandro Mayorkas and Joe Biden. We're going to talk about a bunch of other stuff, probably Roe v. Wade with Newsmax contributor, constitutional attorney Amir Benno. And we're going to have a big America First interview. He's running for one of the Senate seats in the great state of Oklahoma. He was endorsed by Donald Trump out the gates. Alex Gray will be joining us. So we got a big Friday edition of the show. And we'll be coming back on Tuesday. It won't be half bad anyways. We don't have any candidates scheduled yet, but that's likely to change. We'll start off with Vish Burr, though. We can't get any better than that. Next Friday, we'll have Christina Bob on. On the 24th of May, we're going to have a special edition of the episode. Brent Hamachek and Chris Barron of Human Events are going to be sitting down for a roundtable with Noah and myself. And that'll be out on the 24th. Looking down the road a piece... John Gibbs, Trump endorsed, running in Michigan 3, and Kelly Cooper, who's looking to represent Arizona 4, will both be coming back to us on the 3rd of June. Big win last week in Ohio, looking to represent Ohio 9. J.R. Majewski will be with us on the 7th of June. Carrie Lake scheduled for the 10th, and I don't know why they're scheduling for July, but all the way down the road, July 8th, Trump endorsed candidate one of the big three, the Latinas who picked up huge wins in the Texas primary. This one was in Texas 11. Monica De La Cruz will be joining us. So we got a lot of big shows. According to Boris Epstein, David Perdue is going to be joining us soon. Max Miller is going to be joining us soon. We'll sit down with Harriet Hagman and uh, Kelly Chewbacca probably as well. And at some point, we're going to have Donald Trump on the show, so you better just stay tuned. Um, Friends of the Week. I had the list somewhere. It seems to uh, have escaped me, but I'm sure it was great. There it is. <laughs> what do we got? Q White Memes took a break this week, but we're still going to mention them. We got Not Far Out had a good video yesterday with the uh, Ultra Mega Trump Voltron. Grand Old Memes, of course. Real Brenda Memes 3, The Silent Meme Majority. Snack Thickelson, we had a collab the other day. The Real Al Gorbachev, thanks for sharing all of our stuff. Maria Edwards. Richard Ratboy, Mostly Peaceful Memes. Puberto's 2.0, Baby Cakes 2.0. Things to remember between now and Friday. Number one, do your own research. Number two, start a podcast. And number three, this one's coming in super hot, Noah. Mm. Let's see what happens. Yes. This has been episode 133 of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. And we'll be back on Friday with episode 134 featuring Cash Patel, Bernard Carrick, Amir Benno, and Alex Gray. Can't get any better than that. Thanks for listening. Y'all take care. Sports. Rick Tamlin, weather. And your reporter in the field, Brian Fantana. It's Channel 4 News at 6 o'clock.
Good evening. I'm Ron Burgundy, and this is what's happening in your world tonight. A La Jolla man clings to life at a university hospital after being viciously attacked.